Ahoy there, it's me, your old pal, Cowboy Kevin. Thanks for checking this out. It's only the penultimate episode of that bloody ruddy WWA. It is time indeed for some retribution. Just want to give a big shout out to all of our lovely supporters over at patreon.com forward slash a podcast, where we have had, as always, another bumper ass month with a whole shed load of content for all your ears and your eyes. We're coming up on 70 episodes of the SmackDown Crawl, if you could believe it. As well as that, we've just capped off our recent and trilogy on the Bibliotech, the book report podcast where we spent a nearly 10 hours across those episodes talking all about Pete Gas, looking up at the lights, the story of one of the members of the Main Street Posse and something you do not want to miss out on, a heartwarming story full of intrigue and tales you would not expect. And don't forget, Adam and Billy also reviewing the Undertaker comic book series from 1999. That's over on the Patreon as well. As well as a whole shed load of Q&As, video episodes exclusively there for our backers and commentary tracks all that available for as low as five dollars a month at patreon.com forward slash ae podcast while away the hours of your quarantine with a whole hell of a lot of content and most importantly you help keep this show 100 fan and listener supported and with that being said let's head back down under to glasgow for wwa retribution Hello everyone and welcome to the Attitude Era Podcast, bonus WWA Retribution Special Edition, and all the whores who listen, cashing their paychecks on Patreon, as the establishment crushes us under their fists and their boots, we will rise up for the dystopia of the Performance Center recruits. Hello once again, I'm Slapjaw Kevin Mann, joined as I am always in this look back at the WWA by Adam... T-Bar Bibolo, T-Bibolo. It's time for some retribution to be taken on the World Wrestling All-Stars, Kevin Mann. I mean, Slapjack. I mean, Slapjaw. And I feel a lot of this stuff that they've been going on with now, like whores they have been like, like whores. Yeah, they're just suckling on the teat of Vince McMahon's empire, and I'm desperate to see it all crumble down, Kevin. Another slap in the teat retribution, baby. Here we are. I'm <coughs> sorry. <coughs> 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 All right. Sorry about that. Retribution. Retribution. It's the WWA. We're back. This is part four. Am I right in saying? Fourth time's the charm, baby. Four out of five. I can't believe it. We're here for another installment of the WWA. We have made the commitment to see it through to the end. We're not. This is not the last one. But is this the penultimate one, Adam? This is the penultimate one. If you remember last time, I titled it WWA Third Times the Charm. This time, I'm going to title it WWA. This is getting sad, bro. Because Kevin, this is getting sad, bro. Uh, what? No, it doesn't have to be. You know, a bad thing that it's for. Think of all the fourth of things that lethal weapon for. Come on, <laughs> like you know, it's is. Yeah, uh, yeah, dead man's tell no chests. I think that's uh, fourth yeah. Pirates of the Caribbean. You Mad know. Max Four, actually the best one. So just goes to that show. Is, you never that know. That is true. So so retribution here today has the potential to be our Mad Max Fury Road of the exactly. series. Exactly. Which is why we have replaced Andrew McManus with Tom Hardy. It just feels like. Uh, Sorry, yeah. how have I never thought of this before? But like Andrew McManus, like sort of white-haired old Australian villain. <laughs> 
<laughs> he literally could be a Morton Joe from Fury Road, like the big scary mask on him and everything. He's fucking okay, evil. Well, who's our Mad Max then? The guy is it like is it someone else on the roster? Someone who's kind of you know? I mean, obviously Nathan Jones has played Nathan Jones. I mean, that yeah, was, that's way. a given. Like, you know? I don't know why. For, for some reason, I'm thinking JB is like the protagonist of the <laughs> WWE. Like he's been our main character so far throughout all of this. And it is interesting because much like Mad Max, when you go back and you see him in that context you're like oh this is really weird he's like almost not like i remember him it's because mad max brackets jb hasn't been around humanity long enough so he's forgotten how to talk brackets book acceptable wrestling and storylines <laughs> so here we are for some more wwa would you believe the story has continued this is an odd thing i don't know about you adam since we started the wwa like pretty much around a year ago mm. i kind of it's i think it's almost a year to the to the month more or less but you know there's been some movement in wwa there has been you know obviously there was a new owner wade brewer showed up i yeah. don't want to say that we're responsible at all but because uh, you know brian zane has started did some wwa stuff i feel like a lot of wrestling media have put some eyes on it recently collectively and you know we're, we're part of that or whatever but, like, do you see WWA making any sort of a resurgence? Uh, oh. I thought I'd ask you off the offset. Like, what are you going to do with this this library that's sitting on the wayside here? The library? What, the library of five pay-per-views that are available for free on YouTube? I think leave it as it is, mate. There's already a big stink over it. There's already enough wrestling in the world as it is. We don't need to go resurrecting this old corpse. We don't need a HD remaster of this one, no? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to have it available in better quality, I guess. But, but, no, but what am I saying? I'm never going to watch these ever again. We don't need that at all. It's not necessary. Particularly as well, like, if I'm going to watch this and I can just tell that's an emulation of the WWA. It's not... The, <laughs> it's not I know my WWA. That is not real WWA. Adam, we've obviously been kind of doing a lot of research and kind of keeping track of the stories and the characters and the myths surrounding the mm -hmm. WWA and the, the myths surrounding saint andrew himself and we have kind of the last few episodes split the 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 split the research so to speak because there's so much to keep track of i was wondering if you could keep us up to date or give us some info about where we're at right now because wwe retribution coming to us from glasgow glasgow as glasgow. it's known in america mm -hmm. so this is coming to us from the 6th of december 2002 so up in operation for for a little over a year year three months Where's the WWA at? How is it coping in this in this new environment that's going to see TNA oh. coming very, very shortly, it feels like? Actually, if not, TNA is already running in Nashville at this point. Well, yeah, the news at this point regarding WWA essentially becomes the news regarding TNA. I'll take right. us through from our last pay-per-view. The last time we did the eruption, which took place in April of 2002. Oh, so come on now, give it a good old-fashioned Mark Erickson. Eruption! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Mark Erickson, and I will never be appearing on the Attitude Era podcast again. He did such a read. He wasn't able to be here tonight. You think no. about that in terms of a performance. You think about that. So the eruption was in April 2002, which means we've got a good eight months to fill everyone in on here. So what happens? In April, the so far untitled Jeff Jarrett promotion has now started working with the WWA. And the plan is, is that Double J is going to run pay-per-views in America for his new promotion. And then they'll be aired internationally in Australia as regular television. And they'll be able to promote the WWA on the back of those episodes of TV. 
Which And they did that in the UK as well, because the NWA TNA pay-per-views, which were three to four hour pay-per-view length shows they did monthly in in the asylum in Nashville. Mm-hmm. I used to watch that kind of serialized into one hour chunks on TWC. It was okay. the wrestling channel, uh-huh. which was on Sky from around kind of two thousand three, four onwards. Oh yeah. And that's where the likes of me and a lot of UK wrestling fans were exposed to not just these wrestlers, but, you know, the, the, there was a lot of collaboration going on at the time. Because mm-hmm. remember, they were working with WWA, but also there was a Ring of Honor collaboration. There was some stuff with Mexico. Like, they mm. were... Jeff was being very collaborative at this time, it seems. Yeah, I think Jeff knew that, like, to try and make any sort of alternative to the WWE, you're going to need as much help as you can get. So you may as well share the wealth with the other rosters and try and help each other create something that is more of a competitor. What do you think... And I'm really interested to know your thoughts on this about the the distribution model or the actual just the format because regular wrestling dictates the logic is you've got a weekly TV show, be it mm-hmm. local on the internet or on TV, whatever it is, and then you build up to an event. It could be a pay per view, it could be an online streaming event, whatever it is. It's something that you want to make and part money with. Mm. Whereas this format is we're going to run a pay per view once a month, and then hopefully you're going to want to go see us live afterwards. And Jeff saw that from WWA and either had the idea himself already or decided to co-opt that for TNA because they didn't see any warning signs, it seems, in the first year of WWA that this wasn't the way to go. What do you think of this as a format? I don't... I mean, I think we talked about this in the first WWA episode that I think the actual idea of having a touring company that does shows in Australia and Europe is an amazing idea because those territories at this time were quite starved for wrestling shows coming to their local towns and everything. It was the idea of shooting for TV and pay-per-view is where I think they were overreaching. Even more so with the idea of it just being a monthly pay-per-view, please buy our show on, you know, just take it on good faith that we're going to give you a good show, even though we don't have a weekly product to sort of tell you what the quality of our show is like. I'd love to know what the dollar figure was on both the TNA and the WWA shows, because Mm. I don't think in 2002 anyone was going to go you know charge 20 bucks for this and you'll you'll get loads they'll be like no no. 50 dollars 60 dollars like full price no in fact what i do know and this is something i wanted to talk about as well is the tna model because what tna ends up doing obviously is they start off by doing like weekly pay-per-views which i've always whenever i've heard that sounds like such a terrible idea but apparently what it would work out as is like the cost of the monthly wwe pay-per-view would be the same cost as buying all four TNA pay-per-views for the month. Oh, okay. So they did have a cut price. That's that's good. They were, they that were cheaper. Makes and that, that makes more sense. And I think in today's climate, that's like a more realistic idea of being like, oh, you have like a subscription service to the TNA and you get all these shows every month or whatever. But the idea of it being like four separate transactions where every week you have to get your credit card out and buy the new TNA show rather than just watching Monday Night Raw... I just think that that's, I mean, it didn't take off, clearly. And I, I never saw what people thought that idea was going to achieve because it just seems like such a big ask of your audience. It's, I think, mainly to do with filling the coffers so that they had the kind of, the liquidity, the bit of flexibility of having not cash not just coming in once a month, but like every two kind of, you know, I get that. It'd be coming on a regular basis, I guess, because they're a company that always struggled with, with finance, one way, shape or another. Yeah, I do get that. I just think you're asking a lot of your fans of which you don't have any yet because you're a brand new startup company you're so new and you're asking them to pay money every week to watch your product i do think it's really cheeky i know the patreon were were, were letting us know that we could offer an annual subscription recently but if Mm. you'd like a weekly subscription to our patreon (laughs) 
So Jeff Jarrett is setting up his promotion and he wants to bring in Vince Russo to write the TV. Apparently Jerry Jarrett isn't so keen on that idea. Yes. But we're not going to go too far into the TNA side of things today because that is a story for a completely different podcast, I think. Absolutely. So I'm trying to focus mostly on the WWA here. It is interesting to know, though, that like you could kind of... You can make the argument that Jeff is kind of appearing to be very collaborative, I guess, with WWA, but Jeff's been on these shows. He's seen the the audiences. He's seen how the productions went across. Mm. Do you feel like he's almost kind of prepping to gut this thing and take what he wants from us? Absolutely. Yeah, I, I do feel like Jeff can see the bits of potential that WWA has, and the writing is very clearly on the wall for WWA at this point, and we'll get into that. I think Jeff was just sort of hanging around, being a good friend to the company, so that when it's time to pick apart the corpse, he gets first pickings. Like I don't want to say he's a vulture in a bad way, but you know, because vultures but are cool. Vultures are clever. They're very clever creatures. Vultures are so they you are. know that's a compliment. They are. So the WWA has a European tour booked. It's going to be late May to July, and they're going to start off with a week in the UK and then hit up various other cities in mainland Europe. So got a big summer tour planned should hopefully bring in a lot of money it seems to be that the tour goes like one tour one pay-per-view like the pay-per-view appears somewhere on the tour like mm, typically tna is going to start up in june now and they're going to have the weekly pay-per-views and they're collaborating with the wwa and now the nwa as well and the basic agreement or what the word is at the very least is that wwa is no longer going to run any more pay-per-views in america the american market is going to be just for tna and nwa wwa is going to focus on doing tv for like europe and for australia and they'll just use their pay-per-views over there and they all basically share the same talent pool now. So the NWA, WWA, TNA rosters, they're all pretty fluid and sending guys back and forth between the three promotions. Oh, I wonder if, if, if you had any info about who was picking up the tab then for the likes of... Because you know, we're seeing Sting and Lex Luger here tonight. You know, those big mm. names are being brought in. Is this, I wonder, a way to share the load? Well, it's not like Sting and Luger were like signed to NWA or anything. I'm pretty mm. sure they were free agents. I and deal by day by day, I think they were, yeah. Yeah, and all I can imagine is that, again, it's St. Andrew bankrolling the whole thing because I can't imagine who else is going to be the money bags in this situation. I mean, Jerry Jarrett, I guess, is the one that's funding TNA, I suppose. I mean, but, they were looking for money people from the get-go. But that's though. it, yeah. They were clearly looking for investors. So it's not like there's someone there with like a bottomless bank account so i think it must be andrew is the one that's paying for all these guys interesting that so in terms of the scale of things were you getting any sort of a sense as like from your research that we've been seeing on the kind of shows themselves that the chaos is becoming not the exception it's becoming the norm like is is it looking like bad times ahead is it looking like a company that's only got another show or two left in them well, you tell me, because last time we discussed that St. Andrew had basically sworn off of false advertising and then burned <laughs> too many times, and he, and he kept, like, insisting that, like, we're only going to have guys that we have signed now, and it's going to, you know, we're not going to have anyone show us up at the last minute anymore. Right. Uh, the word is going around at this point that Savage and Ultimate Warrior are going to be headlining the next pay-per-view, so... And special guest referee, Stone Cold Steve <laughs> Austin! <laughs> Do you think in his heart of hearts, Andrew McManus would have been happiest promoting something like, you know, one of them lucky like he wrestling shows at Wolverhampton or something like yes. that? That was his true calling. In Honestly, life. yeah, he'd have been way better off just sticking with something like that. Stop reaching for the stars. Just settle down here with this nice little, you know. Just settle down in the West Midlands with a man who's a passing resemblance for hardcore Holly, please. <laughs> 
you know, a big European tour that I, uh, I just mentioned, starting off with a week in the UK. The WWA cancels all of those UK dates, like, a, a few weeks before the tour. Really? Yes. What, bad uh, ticket sales, or just... Well, WWA says that they had to cancel the tour because they've had so many injuries to a number of top wrestlers. Not to mention, at the least, WWA Commissioner Sid Vicious. They actually wrote that on the, like, press release that... Sid being injured is one of the reasons why they've had to call it off. God damn it, Sid, I told you, you can't go back playing softball on that leg. But I can use my crutches as a softball bat. Of course, the actual reason is poor ticket sales, hardly anything sold. Apparently, the WWE ran a European tour in May, and this was late May that they were doing theirs. So once again, WWE were just trying to do a show right after WWE did theirs. Or even just anywhere around the time of WWE running shows, you should avoid it altogether on the calendar. That's so, so interesting. I've got I've got some research that I think I'll share with you in a moment that might make a lot of this come to light, so to speak, and, and what was going on. Funnily enough, though, uh, so WWE have now rescheduled their European tour for the winter instead. So this and is a rescheduled show, this? That this pay-per-view that we're looking at should have really happened in June instead of December, yes. I mean, God, there's nothing like Glasgow in December, I will tell you that from experience. <laughs> you know? So the WWA shifts it from May and June down to December in the calendar now, which is great because WWE are also doing a European tour in the winter as well, so that ought to help. Ah, oh, Jesus fucking, fucking idiots. Christ, this is incompetence on a on a level I don't think I've ever seen. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, you had... What was the point in deferring it just to bring it up at, like, the exact same problem? You're going to have the same problem again, yeah. They end up cancelling the entire European tour in the summer, not just the UK. They called off the whole thing. Apparently, the only show that had sold remotely well was Dublin, which had sold 4,000 tickets. Apart from that, everything else was a shit show. So this show here, Retribution, taking place, this is taking place in the backdrop of a mostly cancelled European tour then, is what you're telling me. And then rescheduled for December, where they hoped it would sell a little bit better. And when we get to December, like, were we doing all the dates then, or what's, what's going on? Mm, we're doing most of the dates, and well, we'll get to the sales of that, because there's still more coming up here, Kevin. They're advertising the tour now to feature Sting, Scott Steiner, and Lex Luger. And this is going to be Sting's first wrestling appearance since the final episode of WCW that he was on. So that's a big deal. Sting's first wrestling match. Huge, huge value as well, considering that this is after we would have had a few months of the the invasion being teased and whatnot. And, you know, you know when you're not seeing your Sting or whatever, your, your big mm-hmm. WCW name, brand names. And I think Sting is probably, at the time, was... He's the guy that I think a wrestling fan would be willing to depart with his or her money the most for, I think, you know? I think that, yeah. that at the time, that was name value. They were right to get him. Yeah, and Sting is someone that, like, doesn't matter how long it's been since he had a match, he puts the face paint on and the leather jacket and everyone will go, oh my god, that's Sting, just like I remember him from TV. Like, he, you know, he won't lose any mystique or anything. He's pretty evergreen, Sting is. Except for me, who grew up watching Sting in 2011, and if I see Sting now in a show, I want to I want to see Joker Sting with a crow. Okay, I want to see Joker Sting with a crow cut a promo on Madison Rain. Yeah, that's what I want to see. <laughs> So WWA, to lick their wounds, decide just to do some more shows in Australia, stick with the home turf, you know, it's going to cost less money and hopefully we'll sell a lot more tickets. They end up being part of a concert series where, like, they do a few shows with a few bands as part of, like, a whole tour. Oh, Andy. <laughs> One show... 
They do a show at the Australian Telstra Dome, which is a venue that WWE sold out recently. Like they sold out this entire stadium, like back in oh, August. Oh, Global Warning Tour. That's that's oh, really yeah. That's actually on the network now. An O2 show. That was a oh. big, big fucking stadium. Like yeah, they yes. did a good job on that. Well, the WWA and the concert series didn't sell out the stadium. They drew thirty thousand people, which is a big number. Yeah. But most of those were papered. There was hardly any tickets bought in advance. And look, there's and... nothing sadder than 30,000 people in a 50,000-seat arena. Like, it, you might as well, like, well, you know. <laughs> apparently, the people were all there to see Nickelback, Garbage, and Billy Idol, and then they left before the wrestling started. No, Adam! They didn't split yeah. the wrestling and the music? No, no. Oh, my God! You can't so open gone wrestling with Nickelback! <laughs> what do you mean? You never see Raw during those years, Kevin. You put wrestling on the marquee. Come on. Like, like how is wrestling in the position of spinal tap in this? With bands that are literally spinal tap. That's not fair. I would want to see mm, Crowbar take on Norman Smiley or something whilst Nickelback play How You Remind Me in the background. Like, just combine them together. It'd be great. I mean, Nickelback, Nickelback, I like to see him do a kind of a dueling guitar thing with Tantric. Like, you know, back to back. Look at this revolution. Uh. <laughs> Every time I see you want retribution. <laughs> Here's something for you. So, Andrew McManus, he's been stung way too many times with, like, no-shows, contract issues, and what have you. He has Steiner signed to be on the next European tour. Like, so Scott he's on, Steiner... he's contracted. Yeah. Scott Steiner is contracted to come on tour with the WWA and, you know, see all the European fans. However, WWE now wants Steiner, and they want to bring him in. And Andrew McManus goes out of his way and jumps through all these hoops and manages to get Scott Steiner out of his WWA contract because he thinks this will endear him to Vince McMahon and that they can then get favours from the WWE <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I know. Dave Meltzer says here that, like, literally that's that previous summer, Jimmy Hart did exactly the same thing with Jerry Lawler in the XWF. Jimmy Hart thinking, like, sure, you can have you can have Jerry back, and we'll be best friends now, Vince, and look how that turned okay, out. Okay, okay, right. Whatever about Andrew, because Andrew's, like... Andrew, like, he, he doesn't even know enough about wrestling to be no. a money mark. Like, he's a he novice. Know what that term means. Yeah. But Jimmy Hart doing that. that Jimmy did that. on, lads. What the fuck do you think you are, Luke Skywalker in Jabba's Palace? <laughs> I bring you a gift. These two steroids. Like, you, know? <laughs> you can't... What else as well? What a shit gift. Hey, Vincent, man, this will endear me to you. Do you want Scott Steiner to curse? Well, hey, here's, here's a little gift for you. Royal Rumble 2003. Ha! <laughs> Well, it's it's not all one-sided because in exchange for Big Papa Pump, one of the major stars of WCW, Vince McMahon says that for the tour, Andy can have the Godfather, who doesn't come on tour because he says he has a knee injury, so Andy doesn't get anything from the trade. Okay, I'm at the point here now where a lot of what you're saying is interesting to me, mainly because... I do have some Andy research that I've uncovered. And I was like, literally until this morning, I didn't think I'd have any. And all I'll just say is, I'm not going to tell you now, but oh. a lot of what you're saying is in direct contradiction to what St. Andrew maintains. Really? Yeah, we'll, we'll get okay. to it. We'll get to it. Okay. So the European tour kicks off on November the 28th in Dublin in front of 4,000 fans. So they did hey. manage to sell the same amount of tickets again. And at this Dublin show, kicking off the tour, Kevin... 
I wish you could have been there, man. They had live commentary in arena played for the whole house to hear from Disco awesome. Inferno awesome. and Andrew McManus. Wow. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Andy commentated a whole show and apparently it was fucking dreadful. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? <laughs> Why would he pick Disco and not JB? I know, surely, right? You can be the, the heel promoter that owns the company and JB can be the competent young like face that does everything. <sighs> Disco Inferno is the one steering the ship. Can you imagine? Safe pair of hands. Yeah. <laughs> So Luger gets bronchitis on the European tour and he has to miss a couple of shows. Yeah, right, bronchitis, is that it? Hurt your nose, did you, Lex? The London show sells 5,000 tickets. Brighton sells 1,200, so not great. The Nottingham show is cancelled due to not being ah! enough sales. And Wait, then- Nottingham, Nottingham's a, that's a town that WWE go to all the time. That's like a regular good size city which mm. i mean that they, they always fill the Nottingham arena there like they, that's like a given with wwa yes but again i think if you remember that this tour is going to be happening i don't know if it was before wwe's winter tour or after wwe's winter tour but whatever you do when you're like running a show within a few weeks of wwe doing a show the fans are just going to wait for the wwe show and spend their money on that instead yeah like. yeah interesting and then that brings us to the next date on the tour, Glasgow, Scotland, for our pay-per-view tonight, where Way. we have sold 3,000 tickets. 3,000? Not you bad. You know what? Not for bad. The, they're, not, they're not like the SECC, they're not, in a big, they're not in the Hydro, they're not like a big fucking massive place. They look no. very much in like, I'm pretty sure I went to a comic fair in this, or a record Aww. fair, when I lived in Glasgow in, in, this, in this building. I will say, before we get into the show in a bit, those three thousand fans, you wouldn't think there's three thousand. You think there's ten thousand in that building. I, I'm not. I'm not being hyperbolic. Like I really feel that the crowd here tonight, it it feels like they felt sorry for the WWE or something because this is the best crowd that I've seen in a wrestling show in a long old time. Yeah, I, this is one of the better crowds we've ever had on the podcast. To Absolutely. the point where it actually kind of annoyed me a bit because I was like <laughs> getting to the point of being like, "Don't you cheer that? These guys don't deserve your These applause." These guys are cancer. Stop this. <laughs> well, a, a rocky road that brings us here to the to the WWA. So Saint Andrew, he never gets respect, and I spent mm. a long, long time. Looking up from the... Literally, I've had a Google Alert set up for this lad. And bar the fact that over in the the Cape of Australia, we've got a counsellor named Andrew McManus who's doing everything from holding up controversial marijuana ordinance to, oh, sto- to, to, to stopping hotels being made on, you know, on time. Controversial figure, let's just say. Wow. Andy himself has not appeared since his now retracted press release about the big concert series that he was doing. Oh, Which, he didn't do it then in the end. That's, he that's a shame. He didn't do it. We are towards the end of September now here in 2020. Yeah. Where Adam and I are, we're kind of on the cusp. But we're, we're in a local lockdown. We, we both live beside the highest like, rate of infection in the country, mm. basically, in the UK. So it's obviously a bit tender hooks here. We're not going to talk about, you know, COVID flippantly. But let's just say that Andy's big plan and how Australia's been getting on over there, he's been rightly laying low. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Guys, maybe just use the app, see what happens with it. Mm. Anyway, generally, there has been a renewed interest 
in the WWA in the last couple of years and a, and a couple of wrestling media sorts, YouTubers, podcasts, us included, have been chatting about it. It's been showing up. A guy bought it. It's been in the news a bit. So I did find, I couldn't believe this, from a group called Wrestling Sauce Radio, an outfit out of Australia, who've been interviewing lots of people who had been involved in Australian wrestling, people like Vampiro and all that. Mm-hmm. They got St. Andrew himself on for a one-on-one interview, and they just chatted all things WWA, Andy's experience, what he got in, what he got out of it, any kind of tales from the road, or tales of any, and I quote, notable scallywags he dealt with on the tour. So was it? Was he phoning from his cell, or what's going on there? Like, was he there in person? My client, Mr. Andrew McManus, will not be <laughs> speaking here tonight. No, he was just rang in, had a chat, and I'll say is okay. the the host was a lot more sympathetic to Andy and the WWE <laughs> than we were. And look, it's it's yep. again because it's something we've talked about a lot. I'm not sure we'll spend a lot of time talking about it here today because we talked about it so much the last few times, but. For a lot of people in the UK, Ireland, and Australia, the WWA, the first thing that comes to their mind is my first wrestling show. and that Yeah, that's true. And for some Australian wrestling fans, it's quite a big deal because, hey, not a lot of Australian wrestling going on. There's some great indie groups that have come up in the last few years, but mm-hmm. I think historically it was one of the few companies that made a swing of it. So people are rightly proud of it. Anyway couple of things that Andy mentioned that were very, very much out of line with what you've said and what we've heard about recently. He was asked about a lot of the no-shows and things like that, and particularly he was asked about Randy Savage. Now, mm-hmm. Randy was meant to be shown up to wrestle Jeff for the, the WWE title on the second show, Revolution? Yes, or, that's right. Yeah, and he didn't do that. And according to Andy, what happened was Vince McMahon called him up the night before, and offered him double to go to the WWE and not go to the WWA. For some reason, Andrew McManus has it in his head that Randy Savage did that. And some alternate timeline where Ed Miliband is Prime Minister and Randy yeah. had the Shawn Michaels 0-2 run like where he came back, you know. I don't know. Maybe he wrestled Hogan at SummerSlam 05. I'm not really the sure. The most basically disprovable thing about like of all people to claim oh yeah Vince poached him from me Randy Savage and the general thought he seems to have is like no regrets in doing it Mm. he figured that he had spotted a gap in the market and then that WWE constantly undercut them undermine them sabotage them right and there's like points at the interview where he's like i don't even think they knew where we were and then there's other points where it's like and then he knew we were going to have this guy so right. we signed this guy to cut the legs out of us uh-huh. from underneath the show he lays it out like this he says 2001 someone tells him wcw has went under and he's like when's the last time anyone ran australia and like lo and behold no one had run australia pretty much for the entire run of the attitude era mm-hmm. or if they had they hadn't done a proper tour yeah. and then he looked over and he saw that other than the one or two shows they had done you know rebellion and that they had not done a proper tour of the uk mm-hmm. or they hadn't been to ireland like at all during the attitude era so he was like let's just do those places mm-hmm. and he started doing them and then pretty much as soon as 2000 late 2001 came by they were decided we're going to go over twice a year to the UK and we're going to hit Ireland. We're going to go twice a year to Europe and we're going to hit Australia as well. 
Now, Andy thinks it's because of the WWA that they did that. Right. As in, they only did that because they were threatened by the international global phenomenon that WWA was on the cusp of becoming. Right. So they're like, hang on a second, let's change the business model. Let's go out now and start touring Australia and the UK Mm -hmm. and doing tours every year. And the only reason that doesn't gel is simply that Andy, long, long outside of the grasp of St. Andrew and the WWA, WWE were losing ratings out the fucking backside Mm. come 2000. 2001, long before WWE even existed. They were doing this simply to make up for the shortfall in money, house show revenue, because people didn't want to see Heelstone Cold, but they wouldn't mind seeing fucking Chavo Guerrero down on the, the Global Warning Tour, or, you know, seeing Chris Benoit and JBL in The Point. I you mean, know, it, that was all... It makes sense. Like, whenever business is bad, they can usually still rely on, like, places like Europe and Australia to actually still have fans that care and are willing to pay to see the show. If you listen to Bret Hart, who talked about all the times that he visited Australia, and Europe Mm. when he was in the WWE when it had a down period as well like the fact that they didn't recognize that another one as well that Andy was very adamant about was Nathan Jones was a fucking hump and a piece of shit and no good like he was all muscle he was no star power right and he took great glee in arranging to trade him for the godfather Perry Saturn and Gangrel Mm mm-hmm so, Gangrel, who appeared on the first WWA show and none of the subsequent ones. Nathan Jones, who was on, as of the last show, and this show, all of the shows. Yeah, I was going to say, well, I, I think Gangrel has been touring. He may not be on the pay-per-view tonight, but I think Gangrel has been on this recent tour. But yeah, what? how could you say that about Nathan Jones when he's clearly one of your fucking golden boys and you put him on every fucking main event that you get a chance to? So the story kind of is for him that we had this great idea... I wasn't 100% invested in it because, mm. as he said, music is my blood mm. and he, and wrestling is Jeff Jarrett and JB's blood. Uh-huh. A couple of other highlights include his affectionate nickname for Jeremy Borash, which is Radish. Radish? And he was like, why'd you call him Radish? He's like, oh, you know, just a little guy, like, you know. So, oh, I don't know, maybe Andrew McManus... <laughs> How did Jeremy Borash come into existence? Well, Vince Russo was walking along one day. Bro. And he uh, picked him up out of uh, the ground, didn't he? But then the, smiley the, face the little him. tiny round circular face of Vince McMahon started floating around and trying to get him. Like... <laughs> <laughs> So, he, he had a lot of nice things to say about JB. He had nothing good to say about Russo. Of course. Jarrett, he kind of took with a pinch of salt in that he knew that Jarrett was doing what was best for him and his business. So, I don't think Andy's the sucker, or at least doesn't view himself to be the sucker. Of like Because he was like, I think I can make easy money out of this. He didn't seem to imply that he made a great deal of business out of it let's just say mm. but the best story by far and he was asked about you know any stories from the road and all that and he's like well most of them if i told them i wouldn't be able to um to, to say legally and he did mention that kurt hennig was a notable scallywag okay and like just kind of like he said it in the way that like he made my life hell but he wouldn't elaborate on it but there was a story he told about one night on early in one of the chores and he got stevie ray and grindmaster sexy who were having a few drinks with all the guys and Grandmaster comes up with a tray of like 20 shots and he's like, right, man, let's all start drinking. And they start knocking him back Mm -hmm. and him and Stevie Ray, who are both former football players, start getting into a chat about who's the fastest. Now, can you imagine the level of debate taking place between Brian Christopher and Stevie Ray talking about who's the fastest? An articulate fucking debate it is not. Oh, God. 
And this comes up with them when they're on their tour outside and they're they're on the buses and they go, right, we'll go out into the car park and we'll have a foot race. You know, 200 metres, who's the fastest? And the way he describes the race is that it begins and Stevie Ray immediately gets problems with his hamstring and like falls over. Oh, <laughs> so may, he, he may not be here tonight, folks. And then Grandmaster Sexay, he says, he just couldn't stop running. Oh, God. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so Grandmaster Sexay goes into this 200 meter sprint. And he can't stop for some reason. Oh. And he just run. He runs straight into a bus, like Whoa. a parked bus. And he apparently caved in the entire front of the bus, I- cracked the windshield. <laughs> and Andy's there, like you got to understand, he was so muscular and and compact <laughs> and tight that he just ran into it like a brick. Jesus. <laughs> Can just a picture in your mind the foot race with Steve Ray going, ah, my calf! And then he's sprang. Christopher runs into and breaks a bus. They're, they're peeling him out of the front of the bus, like. And uh, thankfully, it was not their bus, so it was all Oh, okay. that's okay then. Fuck so, me. That's nowhere near as wholesome as coach racing against Tony Chimmel, as we recently heard in the Pete Gass autobiography. Yeah, that, that was a true clash of the titans. Yeah, this legit. Was, uh, this this was more of a wacky races oh, uh, situation, geez. so to speak. So, look, if you've got any more on Andrew McManus, I'll keep my eyes and ears peeled for him. I was just very interested to see that he had a chat. He had plenty to say for himself. Yeah. I wouldn't say that he was someone who necessarily shied away from questions. It was more the case of, like, he viewed it as this, like, wacky thing he did 17 years ago, and he hasn't really thought about it too much since. So, Wrestling mm. Sauce Radio, check it out if you're interested to hear some words from St. Andrew. I don't know, maybe I'm being too harsh, but I personally wouldn't take anything he says as read, because, I mean, he can barely keep a straight story on where that fucking 700 grand came from, like he's. He, we know that he's bent the truth in many other instances before now, I don't see why he'd be honest about one of his failed ventures like this. Ooh. One thing though, one thing, this is another one that came up, he was not very happy with Jerry the King Lawler, oh. let me tell you that. Apparently Jerry said less than polite things about him in his book, and he's like, I always treated him with respect, I always thought he was very nice, uh, I, I was always cordial to him, but he wrote some very mean things about me. In his oh, book. get so, me that oh. book! Yeah, is there a bibliotech, you mm, know? Actually, maybe we'll just do the one chapter. There and back again, <laughs> a pedophile's tale. <laughs> actually, yeah, on, on second thoughts. No, okay, <laughs> Jesus. Hey, Adam, you want to get into this fucking dirty bastard of a show? Oh, it really, this one genuinely is another slap in the face. Like, no hyperbole. <laughs> Another slap in the face, oh. going to bust through the man. Retribution. Another slap in the face, I know this time on the air. It's a revolution. I am positive Kevin here tonight, folks. Wow. I've been here with a, big, with a big smile on my <laughs> face. I'm happy to present to you this one hour and 50-minute wrestling oh, show. Yes. Yes, please. Now. And it beat out AEW Dynamite, which has been my kind of my go-to at the moment, mm-hmm. because there wasn't ads, and I didn't have to consider what the new normal abix was. This was just straight up <laughs> an hour 50 of wrestling, mm-hmm. and it was in 
kind of poor quality, which made it look like it was haunted, but it was still there up on YouTube in its entirety. Yep. Brewer, get on it, man. Your shit's up for free. Yeah, no one cares. No one cares about the WWE. You can just pirate it as much as you like. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'm pirating. I'm going to pirate this look from cold open Andrew McManus. Here he right is. Here, here he yeah. is. He needed two other lads to kind of buttress him last episode, but here he is on his own. Fucking backwards fleece paddy cap on, say, Andrew. Another slap in the face, gonna be nice and warm (laughs) in Glasgow. I tell you, it's not, I I would have worn something similar when I lived in Glasgow. Yeah. Adam, any memories of the great city of Glasgow, Scotland? Have you ever been? Have you ever, have you ever lived there? Have you ever known anyone from there? Yeah, I've known people from Glasgow and I I briefly went, I went to visit my friends Taz and Chris and they were very nice to have me around their place in air which meant I had to go and get the train to Glasgow. That's where Drew McIntyre is It sure from. is, yeah. It is. So I went to Glasgow to get picked up by them and meet them at the train station. And when I got off the train in Glasgow, because I've heard all these fucking things about Glasgow from media and from Roddy what Piper. What'd you heard? What'd you From Roddy Piper? That, that it's, uh, I, got, I had it on good authority from Hot Rod that it was a rough old town and that you wanted to be careful where you walked in Glasgow because you, you never know. Do you remember? Do you remember what they did like for the hype of packages about Roddy Piper back in like 1984 Mean Gene would like narrate this footage from the 1920s it's like yep. Glasgow Scotland a third world country have localised yep. within the United Kingdom the raw sewage that flows from the ironworks drove the people mad in the 1800s like it's so mean and when I got there I was just like oh this is just kind of like Scottish Manchester it's a really nice city there's lots oh, of friendly a- people around Ooh. I'll say Manchester is more English Glasgow. Glasgow. <laughs> let's, let's even it out a little bit here then. I mean, I'm really glad that you experienced Glasgow because I think it's a fucking beautiful city. It's lovely, city. yeah. Great, great wrestling town. Lovely people, amazing food. I lived there for... I say I lived there for 12 months, but three months of those I lived in, in China looking at bears. Right. But my time in Glasgow is amongst my happiest. I very, very much love that as a city. I, I get quite nostalgic for it often. And I had kind of been planning to go up there for kind of a big return trip before all this pandemic shit happened. I miss it so. I had a fucking beautiful time living in Glasgow. Did you ever catch a Diamonds game while you were there? Uh, No, but I used to sing it quite a lot. That's that's still the same, yeah. I believe when I debuted on my radio show, 2am on Sub City Radio, (laughs) the the Red Room, I would uh, play the Glasgow Diamonds. Like It was really funny because the the guy who was on before me did this real drum and bass EDM stuff. He's a really nice guy. I really he like high five you're like hey man he'd be like packing up his decks I'm like alright beep beep dun 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 we come from Glasgow Glasgow so Andy's here and yeah he's on the phone and this is great because it you know he's obviously having a real phone call because you can tell by the way he's going yep alright mate that's great Thank you, mate. Thank you for phoning me, mate. It's good to talk to you on the phone, it's mate. It's time phone. He's talking to Teddy Long in the future is what he's doing. <laughs> that is right, player. A telephone call right here on my mobile device. And then he gives away the commissionership to a new person, Kevin. We don't get any explanation as to where Sid is, by the way. Not in terms he's of done. like storyline or in terms of the reportings from the newsletter. I don't know what happened to Sid. Would it would it surprise you, Adam, that Andrew admitted that they made it up as they went along and they didn't go really? in for like Yeah, he's like we didn't have the luxury of like storylines from episode to episode or anything like that. You don't so, say. There you go. 
So who could take up the reins? Like, we've had some pretty big names to be our commissioner. We had Brett twice as a commissioner. Yes. Then we had Sid. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of telling me, at least, that the the rules for the commissionership at the WWE is you got to be someone who's got kind of a bit of notoriety, a legend of the past, perhaps, and most importantly, someone who's not wrestling currently. Yes. So did you recognize who the... And I, these are the keys are being handed over here. Commissionerships don't have keys, but he's like, here are the keys. Mm-hmm. Did you recognize who Andy gave it over to? Not a fucking clue who this guy is. You didn't recognize above average Mike Sanders. Above average? Don't above please tell me average. that's not his ring name. That's his ring no. name. Above average Mike Sanders. Oh, dude, he looks average. Part of the natural born thrillers in WCW. Right. He is a former WCW commissioner as well, and he was one of Russo's faves. Russo thought this guy had had the it factor. He was the guy who was trusted with the microphone to talk for a lot of the big lumps, like kind of Mark Jindrak and Sean O'Hare, these okay. kind of big muscle lads. And the idea was in storyline. Much like Retribution, they're a bunch of shit heels from the power plant who are all muscled up and wanted to, you know, take the position of the old guys. Okay. And their biggest claim to fame was like, we're going to beat the old guys. The old guys can't stand up to us. And they're like, well, the old guys are going to come and get you. And in their match with the old guys, Paul Orndorff got a stinger and had to retire from wrestling because he took a pile driver. Jesus. Yikes. And th- that, yeah, and then it was less like these guys are dangerous and more like these guys aren't allowed to play with anyone else. Because <laughs> they're dangerous. Look, he was a WCW commissioner, which means, you know, <sighs> he beat Kevin Nash. He was then beat by Kevin Nash. Of course. <laughs> Great. And I love as well, they couldn't help themselves here. They couldn't help themselves going for the WCW storylines. He's like, after all, I'm the guy who took the commissionership from Ric Flair. So don't. Don't forget, Mike Sanders has done stuff in his wrestling career. So Ric Flair's going to come knocking, looking for revenge at some point, we can imagine. I have so much information about Mike Sanders, <laughs> but he's he is on this show so much tonight. I'm going to... Save piece it. Piece by piece. Yep, savor it. Yeah. I did like that we've got uh, you know, lots of surprises here. The main surprise is that Andrew McManus has decided, yeah, I will do this. He is so fucking bad. He looks... Right in the camera when yeah, he does his bitch. Honestly, this guy, I, I, it feels like he was just convinced to do this by other people as a rib because it really doesn't seem like anyone would have approved this. He seems so awkward and so ill prepared to be on television. We open up not with. I mean, we got that right at the start for like yes. two seconds. It was like, another slip. Yeah, I don't think Tantric don't get paid that way, well, I guess, as far as I'm concerned. We had some pipers coming out to start things off, like a bit of Glasgow Scottish pipe band. I thought Roddy Piper was going to come out. Forgive me, I don't know the exact name of this one, of, of this song. It's a very familiar one. It's what Roddy used to come out to. Yeah. He used to play it on, the, on Prince's Street all the time, where I'd walk down to HMV going, Ha! Jesus. <laughs> in half blackface. Like. Yeah, exactly. I'm like Roddy Piper. I've been in Glasgow a little bit. And the only people who are gonna tell me that I'm not Scottish are you people who are making feel real uncomfortable <laughs> right now. Let me tell you. <laughs> So out comes the Pipers band. They appear to be sponsored by Scottish Power. It's written on their drums and stuff. Yeah, and these are the least sexy starettes yet. Like, I mean, come honestly. on. All right, the, je- the jeans and the crop top, that was pretty conservative. The kilt and the fuzzy hat. Come on, guys. I want to see them. Yeah, there is no starettes tonight. This is what we get instead. We get the Piper band at the very start. And they walk out of the stage of the little set. Did you see what we had? The little cardboard castle. No. 
You didn't notice what, where the volcano was last time. They've made like a little cardboard castle because it's like, hey, it's Scotland. You have castles, don't you? We made one in 10 minutes. I will say, crowd great, but the production values, and I'm not just saying like it's a lower quality crap video or whatever. It's the production values. Are like, it's the worst today. cameras. Yep. Less lighting. The set, you you allude to some sort of cardboard there. I just thought it was like a fucking curtain and a couple of disco Aww. lights. Like, you know, it looked like something from fucking Phoenix Nights, this, uh, this set. <laughs> it was ridiculous. <laughs> big, big respect for American Badass Undertaker that the Piper Band went around the ring just yeah. like Booger Redwood. Like, you know. And then they just leave. here at one time. Like, <laughs> crowd are pretty into it. They're like, uh-huh. Yeah, no, they're, they're very, very loud. I mean, like, we've noticed with all the WWE shows, the opening is the most awkward bit because you get like silence very quiet fireworks so at least here they start off loud they have lots of loud music the crowd are really into it they're really alive it's it's an okay start they have a crowd that is so fucking cooperative here tonight and i will say there are a number of times where i would have on my best guess have assumed the crowd would have turned on them mm. and it, it doesn't happen as quick as you'd think let's no. just say the other very apparent thing here tonight, Adam, is that we're definitely on some sort of a belt-tightening, cost-cutting mode mm. as JB Aww. rushes into the ring to introduce both himself and Disco Inferno. And then he's like, run back going, thanks, JB, I'm here at ringside with Disco Inferno. Yeah, poor JB. He's back to doing what he did in the first episode where he's just fucking running half the show now, it seems. They both looked checked out 100 yep. percent whatever crack there was with radish and disco in in australia not having a fun here i mean look i'll tell you having lived in glasgow during that period of time of, of winter where i was going to be sticking out groups of seeds for birds to eat and i had to be up at six in the morning and the sun didn't come up until midday and it went down at half past two you know no. <laughs> fucking i i can imagine disco inferno wasn't getting his tan here in glasgow <laughs> So yeah, all night JB's double duty. All night. All night, yeah. And see, and many times we see him getting up from his desk to go back to the ring and vice versa. Like, poor JB is all over the place. Is there anyone in history of, of ring announcing slash commentating who you think, no, no, have them do it. Have them do double duty. They're good enough. They could do it. Like, if it was a small indie show and I could book anyone, would you think there's anyone who could do them both? competently maybe paul Heyman. he's the only guy that i can think of that has the voice for both roles like jr would be no good at doing like ladies yeah. and gentlemen like you need it's a different skill set and i think very few commentators fair play to jb because he can do it like he's capable of doing both of those different styles i swear to god jim ross did it once on Raw. really i swear to god i could be imagining it maybe he was just guessed an answer i have got a fascination folks with commentators who normally don't do the ring announcing doing the ring announcing mm. i think 2003 or 4 todd grisham did it one night oh my fucking god here's christian Jesus. he was absolutely terrifying and you have to go back and do commentary you're just doing it like uh. jb can do them both mm. you know i would say so but I mean, Mean Gene can do a bit of commentary. Yes, but that's true. That, I mean, I'd love to hear Howard Finkel on commentary. I've always heard that. that Vince McMahon, Vince can do them both. Yeah, actually, Vince yeah. could. The Undertaker. I'd like to yeah. hear him do more announcing like that. That would be good, yeah. So if you've got any obscure ones, did Jonathan Coachman ever take up the stick one night? Like, you know, I'd, I'd love to see that, please. Kevin Kelly, like Jim Cornette. Who, who, <laughs> Michael Michael Hayes. Like, whoever is to have fucking downtown Bruno. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the room. <laughs> Starting things off, this is how you open a show. Frankie Kazarian, who 
I'm watching weekly on TV and I can't believe this man 20 years ago it looks like worse then than he does now. This guy is a fucking this is a career career veteran right here. So is he in Take, AEW now or something though? He is. He's, he's part of SCU along ah. with Christopher Daniels. Wait, SCU? Scoo. SCU. Scoo. He's gone scoo. <laughs> This is the worst gimmick I've ever seen. So yeah, there was Scorpio Sky as well, who you may remember as being Harold from the Team Hell No Anger Management sections. Oh, cool. And they're a, a great group, and it's just great to see that we've got this whole generation of wrestlers who've been wrestling at this insanely high level for like fucking 25 years. It's ridiculous. Mm. Shark Boy, are you familiar with him? Yeah, yeah, we've seen him before. He was in uh, the second episode, I think. He was at the Revolution, perhaps? He was. He was very much over with the crowd. I think Mm -hmm. it was a good call to put him on here as the opener. People were so into his shit here tonight. I feel bad for the opening contests on these shows because usually WWE have done a decent job of putting their best match first. So this yeah. this is clearly going to be a good match with these two talents. Or the only good match with on the yeah. cards. But I need, I need a good 25 minutes, half an hour just to get used to the production quality before I can even yeah. actually pay attention properly to the wrestling. So I never get to fully appreciate the first match because I'm always so distracted by like... Like this time it's somehow both underexposed and overexposed at the same time. Like, the the image quality is horrible. What's harder to watch, this or Thunderdome? <sighs> this. At least Thunderdome has some clarity and colours to it, at the very least. I liked how Sharkboy was a victim of the obviously decreasing pool of music that they could use. Yeah. Because Sharkboy literally comes out to... Boom, tss, boom, tss, boom. Tight, tight beat. Two, two steps to the left, two oh. steps to the right, and then you run into a bus and then you crack the windshield. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. Like Brian Grisser running with all these kids. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's okay. He makes first impacts. It's all right. Oh. Sums it up for them here. Booze, I think it was felt like for Shark Boy when he came out, was it? I think it was just the, the general John Cena level of like, it's a mixed crowd reaction. Like. JB gives you a lot of exposition here at the start, just trying to tell you like where we're at. Like, don't expect to see the WWE Cruiserweight International Championship kind nope. of mentioned. He's just trying desperately all the time to make out like it's a coherent thing. Mm. And I always think when you've got a whole bunch of wrestlers and you don't know if they're here one week or gone the next there's a way to book it and pretending like they're all wwa guys is not the way to go no it definitely isn't i've it's, it seems so straightforward to have like your sort of your group of signed talents that like these are the wwa guys and then you can make a big spectacle about like how this big fella's coming in he's going to come to the wwa to take on one of our stars and that's where you bring in your big guys like lex or randy if that's your plan like but this whole like sort of pretending that the wwa has this massive roster of guys that just seemingly come and go for no reason it doesn't make a lick of sense you just don't either don't make reference to it or the other thing is and this is something that nxt used to do back you know when they they revamped in 2015 and 16 was that they would give you the illusion that, look, NXT is a developmental place, it's meant to be, Mm. but it's so hot right now that every indie wrestler in the world wants to be here. Mm. So don't be surprised if Davey Richards shows up or Mercedes Martinez or whoever it may be. And that meant then that when someone did come in 
and they didn't get signed. It's like, well, they just came to have a taste of NXT. Like, you know, James Storm came in once and like, he didn't sign, but it gave NXT the sense of, like, anyone's going to show up. I like and that. I That's really WWE, good. It's so set up because literally in WWE, anyone can and does show yeah. up. Anyone could also no show. That's the other mm, end of the spectrum yeah. of WWE. <laughs> so, yeah, JB doing his best here with the WWE canon. Our last pay-per-view was Eruption, and it ended with a very memorable moment on a very memorable pay-per-view where Scott Steiner wrestled Nathan Jones for the WWE title. And tonight, we crown the vacant WWE title. Okay, so are you going to tell us what happened there? Or is it just like a bit where he's like, unfortunately though, Scott Steiner was traded with the Godfather, who is no longer here tonight due to a knee injury, so the title is vacant. (laughs) That's a great JV. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You've got the anxiety, but also the big boy voice, like, you know. We got, like, one minute of action in, and I was kind of like, all right, this is good stuff. Crowd's hot. Kaz mm. is, is is playing up Shark Boy's silly offense, but there's enough athleticism and comedy to keep this crowd well-invested. Fast and bitey action. A lot of comedy was thrown into the mix as well. It was five minutes until we got our first accidental world wrestling all sorts slip up on commentary. Fuck me. I mean, it's one what? thing when it's Mark Erickson, but you lads are actual proper employees. You've been here for months. Do you think they call it that as like a rib backstage? Oh, <laughs> call it, call it the, the, the wrong thing. Like, Kaz hits the back to the future. Fucking beautiful move. Queen suplex with a bridge, that is. Mm. Kaz, who also was known as the future when he was briefly wrestling for WWE on Velocity. And they're like, if you're the future, why don't you cut that hair? And he said no. And that was the end of him. Oh, so. boy. Shark Boy with the Dead Sea drop. My early TNA knowledge comes to the rescue. <laughs> and then Shark Boy wins so hard it causes the audio mixing to die. And the crowd's <laughs> like, Shark Boy! Uh, it was a very good match. Was it? I couldn't tell you. Like I say, I had a hard time focusing because I was still in, like acclimatizing myself to this. If I went to a wrestling show and I saw this... As my opening match, I'd see it was a good omen. I thought, okay, I'm happy with this. Yeah. This was the highest amount of work rate you could expect from a comedy indie show and the most amount of comedy you could expect from a work rate show. I felt that they hit a sweet spot here and this is why I want to see in my wrestling. Lovely. Selfishly, I enjoyed it. And that's because I've got no audio-visual standards. And I'm a whore. <laughs> and that's why I'm in I, I genuinely think it's the fact that you used to watch the wrestling channel so much as a teen. I and think so. I remember back then, my granddad would have the wrestling channel on constantly. And whenever I sat down and watched a bit of it with him, I was like, this is horrible and washed out and really hard to look at. <laughs> I think I'm getting a bit nostalgic here. Are you yeah, really? It is, because I'm seeing a lot of these names and like, yeah, Sharkboy and Kazarian, like, you know, I wouldn't have been waving a flag for him back in 2003, but it was a big part of my wrestling diet. Mm. As much as I was loving Triple H and Raw at the time, (laughs) which I was loving Big Show and Paul Heyman and his scarf. (laughs) JB brings out the commissioner, above average Mike Sanders, wearing a big old baggy trousers and a big old baggy turtleneck, looking like a baddie from Friends, showing up to (laughs) fuck shit up. I thought that he looked like a goon from Batman, but a baddie from Friends is (laughs) so much more cutting. He's the type of guy who come at Spider-Man with a put-down and Spider-Man's like, oh yeah, well you're a blah, 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 blah. And he'd drop his jewels in contempt. <laughs> it may have surprised you that above average Mike Sanders 
was a heel during his entire run in WCW and quite a quite a cocky, arrogant, no good young craphead heel like. And he has massive heat when he comes out. I thought yeah. this is great. They, this is a crowd that loves WCW. They clearly went to the WCW shows when they toured in, in 2000. And Mike Sanders immediately mocks Disco Inferno and tries to get cheered. I'm like, amazing. Like, you were such an obvious heel, Mike Sanders. What are you doing? He's meant to be a big old babyface tonight. He's a babyface authority figure. And he's talking about the show and what's to come. And I don't know if you caught this, but as he's like teasing some of the stars you'll get to see later, they just start playing the revolution music again for no reason. And then they stop. And then I swear to God, I can hear JB in the background go, don't worry, we'll figure it out. Like they're just <laughs> on the fly. <laughs> the, the audio problems, we didn't have the like, tell him he's got five minutes. No, none of that. None of that. So yeah, he is teasing matches, and I I don't know why the music played. I thought it's because they thought they were going into like a promo segment, like where, right. where Brett was like, "Tonight, the Road Dog's gonna wrestle a match." <laughs> but he's just there teasing matches. Huge pop for pretty much all the known names, except yeah. for one Lex Booger, who oh. gets fucking he gets a riled up uh, reaction for everyone who's excited to hate on him. Mike Sanders is excited. He's all fucking pissed up, full of vinegar, ready to go. And, like, Mike... Mike's an interesting sort here. I wanted to, to talk a bit about his career. Like, seeing him here... Would you agree he's got he's got the charisma? He's got the, the X factor? I don't think he has the X factor, personally. I think he has charisma, and he has the ability to, like, cut a promo and to try and, you know, keep the audience's atten- attention... But there was nothing about him that personally made me like, oh yeah, he's got the X factor that you need to be a wrestling star. I view him the way that I think Vince McMahon viewed Christian in like 2003 and four, where it's like, yeah, you're, you can cut a good promo, really good job, but you ain't the rock kid, stop trying. Mm. And he has very much the cadence, particularly when he tries to do the face stuff of just like 2000 Smackdown heel bully rock you know, making fun. Yeah, sorry, I get that. Face, face bully rock. Making fun <laughs> of Kevin Kelly and all that. Yeah. I know this is a crowd that, you know, is eating a diet of Smackdown on Sky 1. They're here for that. He he has them out of the palm of his hand. He does. Mike, despite his above average moniker, once he went to WWE, they didn't see much in him because, I don't know if you could tell, Mike's a little bit on the short side. Yeah. I.e. short in the year 2002, which means that he's like fucking six foot three or whatever. <laughs> like, you're slightly shorter than me, therefore you can't be a wrestler. Or be a contestant on Married at First Sight Australia. I've been doing all my Australian research, folks. Don't For even God's worry. Sake. But he was relegated to HWA, which we talked about on our Pete Gas episode recently, mm-hmm. Heartland Wrestling Association and they just never had anything for him and he was very bitter about them not having anything for him because i think he had been taught constantly throughout the power plant he'd be a guy who's always gonna have a career because you can talk and this man like people who can talk but it didn't work out for him he left wrestling got into stand-up comedy where he claims on his wikipedia page to have done improv with the likes of craig robertson and stuff like that okay doing various scenes i know i saw him way back when i was doing stand-up of one of the stand-up comedian like facebook pages where all hope goes to fucking die and someone's like check out this cool right-wing comedian from the u from the u.s like Ah. you don't have to be politically correct and like look it's it's the fucking tamest stuff in the world like it's kind of like yo when i'm at the gym man i don't want to be like you know or you know when i'm when i'm lifting man i don't want you know it's all that type of shit like when i'm taking a girl back man i don't want it's it's guy comedy guys being bros 
But his real claim to fame, because I couldn't find much about him in the last recent few years, was when I found above average Mike Sanders' LinkedIn profile. You bloody love this. I absolutely had to have a look. I had to add the connection, have a check out, make sure it's all going down okay. Adam, we're dealing with the world's first party paramedic. Party paramedic? Party paramedic. Not not what you all think, because I thought, all right, hot cops. Yeah, that's what I thought. He does look a little bit like Job from Arrested Development yeah, as well. He like, has got he, stripper energy for sure. He's got stripper slash sexy magician energy quite a bit. <laughs> he's got a magician's forehead and the magician's gaze, as Mike Sanders. <laughs> but no, the party paramedic, which was running in Florida, your one shop stop for all your party needs. Like, I've got a party happening, Adam. 911. I need a photo booth. I need a DJ. I need okay. a green screen. I need Mike Sanders for my corporate event or team building exercise. Uh-huh. And I will say, I've given it a lot of thought because before we went into lockdown, I was proposing we were going to do a pod crabs, the kind of team building exercise where we'd all go oh, to, to Gulliver's World of Adventure. Because I really want, yeah. I want to go to Gulliver's World of Adventure. And I'm thinking instead, if we could get Mike Sanders, the party paramedic on Fuck a Zoom call, me. and we could really build this team up from the ground. Because I'm worried that the big show show is getting a little bit loose in the format. I think Mike Sanders <laughs> might whip it into shape, you know. So is he still doing that now then? Is that his current gig? That was as of like 2018. Right. So I don't know. Mm. And I would imagine like paramedics are probably doing a lot you know, a lot more business than party paramedics at the moment. So I'm not yeah. sure how Mike's doing. But look, he got out of wrestling. He's done a whole bunch of interviews with Vince Russo, but I don't have the heart to listen to Vince Russo's podcast that often. Who does? He says some, who does? And you know what? There's only one podcast I like to listen to where people mispronounce names while inhaling weed, and that's Conan's <laughs> podcast. Okay? I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather stick with what I know. Thank you very much. <laughs> He brings out another name that kind of begrudgingly didn't get along in WWE and went off to become his own thing. A lot more successful at it. A man who carved his niche in the UK and Ireland. It's Joe E. Legend. Is this just Joe? You bet your sweet ass it is. Yeah, I thought it was. Why do you think just Joe here? Fucking coming out doing the promo. He's the heel here now. He has a big back and forth with Mike Sanders. I just couldn't help but think about how far we'd come since, like, Bret Hart arguing with Jeff Jarrett. Like, these two lads, they may be talented, they may have some appeal, but they are two nobodies to be put in this big, like, I'm the commissioner of WWA, you get out of my face kind of role. This doesn't work for me. I think that the crowd are into it, don't get me wrong, the crowd are very generous with this, but I just can't help but feel like this is such a downgrade from where we've been. I mean, you think about it. It's got everything you want on the tin there. You've got two guys who are cutting promos on each other. And it's really like, they're basically just two lads razzing each other in the style like the 2000s bullies would. So it's like, you're gay, man. Like, I'm not gay. You're queer. Well, you're, not, you're queer. You wear a dress, man. You know, I, it's, it's so lowbrow. I will say, Joey Legend has my favorite line, my line of the night on the whole show here, where he comes... Oh, yeah. He comes... <laughs> <laughs> This is the one I think so, it is. Yeah, it definitely is. This is such a Spider-Man three. I love it. He comes up to Mike Sanders and he goes, "You come out here looking like you cut your hair with a knife and fork." <laughs> That is an amazing diss. What a fucking line. And the retort from Mike Sanders. Hey, man, you can't get in my face. I'm not some kind of loser. Okay. Well said. Oh, my 
So yeah, they've got Killer Burns out the wazoo, mostly mm. involved them calling each other gay too. Yeah. Rapturous applause. Rapturous fucking applause. And then Mike literally does Austin's bit. He's like, well, uh, Max Sanders ain't got no sign language, so here's to ya. For fuck's sake. Just Joe, you come out here, you try to impress me, son. You're ratting, what? Snitching, what? Randall, what? Moist, what? Mrs. Fincher, what? I said Mrs. Fincher, what? Gonna have a pilchard head sandwich, what? With pickled onions, what? Mayonnaise, what? Recess, what? For fuck's sake. So they, they tease some big matches for tonight. They tease, uh, at the same breath, Lex Luger, and, and I love how he's always called this, a man called Sting. Hey! It's a man, man called Sting. He does a bit um, of this. He does a bit of that. They also, later on, we might be getting Joey Legend versus Mike Sanders. Hold your horses. You don't need to go to Skegness. You don't need to go to the, you don't need to go to Leisureland and go away. It's going to happen here tonight. Mm-hmm. We're going to get what everyone wants, baby. We're going to finally, finally see Mike Sanders get his hands on. Joey, Joey, Joey Legend, that's it. Joey yeah, Legend. That's it. <laughs> but he's doing, he's doing the rock stuff. He's doing the Austin bit. And I wrote down here, is Mike Sanders' gimmick that he is like Eugene and that he has got all the powers of all the faces <laughs> that have come before him? Like, and I am all the faces. For fuck's sake, get out and of the, here. And the rock is all the heels. Fuck that. No, thank you. <laughs> Fucking crowd out of the palm of the hand here or just like William Wallace kicked ass in Braveheart I'm gonna kick your ass tonight boom they love that like that seems like such an obvious line that I would have thought that the the Scottish crowd would actually not give a shit but they're actually really into it I think they appreciate the bit of effort yeah there is some effort and I will say if they have learned their lesson from the first go round where Buff Bagwell and Stevie Ray accidentally said Glasgow England Mm. you know as faces they have more than definitely learned the lesson here tonight because yes. every heel calls the Glasgow England. Yeah. Like, it's a recurring bit here tonight. Yep. Coming up next, Nate Spiderweb. <sighs> Taking on another one of these podcasters. <laughs> what is this? Uh, Kuna Corman? <laughs> yeah, I can't even pronounce the guy's fucking name. <laughs> Hang on a second, man. <laughs> <laughs> this is good podcasting. <laughs> And before the match starts, we get a horrible shot here. We cut to ringside, JB and Disco. JB talking to the camera about, oh my God, we can see a confrontation between our commissioner and Joey Legend on tonight. But now we've got another matchup coming up, folks. And then the camera stays on JB as he slowly gets up, slowly walks around. It's it's so sick. I was screaming cut away, but they stay with him all the way into the ring. It's so sad. They're is a moment I remember from the Disney Channel from around this time. Sorry, forgive me. The, the Sky Digital customer in me is coming out here now. But you remember they used to do the live audience bit with, with the Disney Channel? It was kind of like, you know, CBBC or Alive and Kicking yeah. or whatever. They'd have, you know, some people in there kind of introducing the cartoons. And there was one time they had a new lad on, some blonde lad, and he was full of piss and vinegar. He's like, hey, I'm the wacky guy, da 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 And he was to interview introduce a quiz segment that he was going to do and mm. they were going to like answer questions about like Kim Possible or Pepper Ann or something like that and he's like all throughout this, the show he's like and you'll be seeing a, a new character showing up here tonight a new character we'll be we'll seeing that and I'm like okay you know the Aunt Jackie Sula character of course like, like, yeah you know they put on a silly wig or whatever and then it came time for the bit and he literally the camera's on him and like you know if you remember from when you're 14 it's probably not a, a very good in terms of awkwardness <laughs> 
The camera's on him and he looks desperately sad and gutted as he realises he has to introduce the character right now. Now. Mm. As the camera's on him. And he goes, oh, well, this is the new character. And he sheepishly turns around and covers his face and puts uh. on a pair of big silly glasses and a little, like, Mr. Blobby coloured tie. And he's like, oh, I'm Quizzy Joe, the new oh, quiz master. No. And I'm a bit, I'm sorry, and I'm a bit, I'm a bit wacky. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. It felt like, you know what? It's hard, It's bad enough you're making him do this, but don't make him fucking do the Wonder Woman spin in front of us. Give him the fucking, <laughs> he's not got the dignity of Linda Carter. Give him a fucking, give him a moment. Give him a curtain, if nothing else. Like if Disco Dickface could have stood in front of him and like turned around and just give him the little <laughs> bit of a moment. Like, come on. Oh. Nate Spider-Webb, uh, who's joining... What was the cow guy from last time that we had? Uh, we had another like, oh weird... Chucky Chaos was Chucky it not? Chaos. Yeah, I don't know if there's like a contractual obligation that we have to have like a deathmatch wrestler show up and like wrestle very briefly. So but, yeah. he he is a deathmatch wrestler because I thought when he was coming yeah. out he looks like such an unlockable character for backyard wrestling. He's exactly his look. Look, this guy's got Baron Blades back, so just fucking, you know, <laughs> careful, right? You don't want BCW invading here. It was one of those names I'm like I know that name, but that's like. One of those names that you know from listening to Art of Wrestling loads and loads. Right, you know? okay. He's a name that kind of came up and all that. He was kind of a journeyman in, in CZW. I don't know if he's still wrestling anymore. He did take mm. quite a big sabbatical. But he was a CZW mainstay. Like, you know, your typical, you know, bin bag trouser wrestler who kind of mm-hmm. does a few flips and moonsaults. What made him stand out a little bit, and I have seen a few Nate Webb matches in my time, is that he was quite flippy and he was kind of... He was chaotic in like kind of a happy way. He wasn't like dour like a lot of his CZW brethren. And I think that is no more so epitomized by the thing he's probably most famous for, which is getting, I believe it was at a tournament of death as well, getting the entire CZW arena to sing along with Teenage Dirtbag by Wheatus. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Which is like, you know, seeing like this like really lame song in the eyes of all these sweaty me- neckbeards and then we're like... <laughs> That's pure. I know he came back to do some stuff, you know, in the recent kind of WrestleMania weekends with some of like GCW right. and that. So, like, he's way more of a name than Chucky Chaos is. Like, Chucky okay. Chaos is like two lines. What they do here in this match, like, I don't say it's disrespectful, but it's like, why would you fucking pay a guy to go do this? Yeah, you could have got anybody to do this, right? You could have just got some local Australian indie wrestler to do this next spot. This is absolutely shocking that they would bring an actual American wrestler over just to do this spot. You have to fill out a visa form for this. Legit, exactly. He's in the ring, and then immediately, uh uh-oh, someone is running at him. It's Perry Saturn. Yeah. That was a nice surprise. I genuinely popped for that. I had no idea Perry was going to show up here. They must have gotten him, like, three months out. That was as quickly as you could have gotten him. They've gotten him here. And Perry's got a whole bunch of new tattoos. He looks fucking jacked. He looks gone in that way that Perry Saturn is like, I'm gone, yet I'm somehow one of the best wrestlers in the world. Which... I'm not going to lie, Adam. I've listened back to some episodes where we've tried to kind of get to the heart of that, of like, you know, he was fucked up by his own admission, but he was so good. I don't think I'll ever feel right about that. No, it it's, it's honestly astonishing the level of wrestling that he puts in every appearance we see him on any show, on SmackDown, on a pay-per-view, on this even. The quality of the stuff he does defies all logic, given what we yes. know about what he's going through. And there's no shortage of fucked up people under-delivering here tonight. Yeah. And Perry Saturn is is giving you an intensity that you probably didn't see in his last 
I'd say, 18 months in WWE. No. Because as soon as he appears, there's Moppy Chance. And I think the goal they have tonight is stop Moppy Chance for Perry Saturn. Yeah. And they have him kill the referee. They have him kill Nate Webb. He's doing crazy moves you wouldn't see. Like, he's doing the pop-up powerbomb here. Mm. I'm like, fucking hell. I'm right pop for that when Owens did it in fucking 2015. Here's, here's Perry Saturn giving you both ends of the fucking barrel here. He's kicking ass and taking names. So he does like a Death Valley driver. He does a pop-up powerbomb. He puts the rings of Saturn onto Nathan Webb. Like, honestly, it was quite a satisfying thing to see, to see like this man just tear someone apart. I felt really bad for this kid who I know nothing about. And then this this poor guy, Nate Spider-Webb, is lying on the floor, completely broken, fucked up. Perry Saturn has just destroyed him. And the referee's like, well, come on then we got a match to do. Like, the referee is just like, we need to get this match on the way now. <laughs> and then, then Conan, Conan slithers into the ring and it's like, one, two. Oh, sorry, I thought he kicked out, but Conan was just coughing while he was pitting him. <laughs> Fuck's so sake. So kind of jostled him around a bit. He got the big three there. It was interesting to see Perry Saturn, I think, to your point. You know, he looked furious. He looked like he had a lot of energy. Compare this to, say, like the Jerry Lynns or the Eddie Guerreros who felt like they had a chip on their shoulder, but they didn't want to yes. prove it in the WWE. They just felt like they were pissed off. Yeah. Whereas it felt like Perry was working out some anger to the benefit of this show's quality because mm-hmm. this is the storyline for the rest of the show is Perry Saturn's on a fucking rampage. Yes. We're going to see a lot not more a, of him tonight. No, I'm not a bad idea for a show, for, for kind of a show-long kind of angle I no like not at all you doing I, that. I, I will obviously because it's me i will be taking issue with some of the execution of this but i do like <laughs> the idea of like oh my god it's perry Sand and he's just fucking running roughshod all over our show i think that's like how you make a house show memorable have just yeah. a little bit you know someone come out at the start and chance something for someone at the end if you don't have that it's a drag mm. but we've got a big addition now because conan he's not picking up much of a paycheck from wrestling he is the third man on the commentary booth now I had watched this entire pay-per-view and Adam had yet to start because when I was watching it, you were researching and we kind of flipped Mm -hmm. it around on that. And it was at the end of the show where I realized that Conan had been on commentary the entire time and I don't think I heard a single line from him. So I went over to you and I said, Adam, given your love of Conan and his love of you, (laughs) you know, I'll keep an ear out for you, Conan. See ya. And... (laughs) (laughs) Fuck you now. And uh, I asked you to see if you could come up with mm. any commentary. Keep in mind, the third man last time, Sid Vicious, contributed, I, in my opinion, for my one watching, Sid Vicious contributed more to the commentary team, and he didn't even have a headset on no. him last time. So, no. what's I- the deal here with Conan? Is he awake? Is he asleep? Is he contributing? I've got one line coming up later on that I know for a fact he said. So, we've got something that he said on commentary. But I don't think he was there all night. Like, there are many times where I'm like, oh, Conan must have left the table by now. And then it cuts back and he is still sat there. So he's just not saying anything. He's got dark glasses on, which, you Mm. know, helps a lot, I guess. But he's he's definitely not there by the main event. By the main event, he has left commentary for some reason. I think by the main event, he's been told to go. Yeah, because he's not. He, yeah, he's not contributing anything to the show. Nothing, zero. No. I have a funny feeling that this was like we're not going to bring you on the tour just to go and have you pin Nate Webb because mm. he's obviously because he's a WCW guy. He's someone who's going to be on the poster, and yeah. the fact that he gets a bigger paycheck to sit in commentary and effectively do nothing than Nate Webb did too. You know, it's only a minute or two, but he took like some pretty stiff shots from from Perry there. Mm. It's just ridiculous. I think it's really stupid. He's not trying at all tonight. Give this man a podcast for fuck's sake. 
Yeah, come on, give him some really hard names to pronounce, right? <laughs> Backstage, Tio is there with some flowers for Medeja and what can best describe as the most year 2002 in the UK room I have ever seen. <laughs> like, I thought someone was going to come in here and tell me about New Labour or Fruit Shoot from Robinson's or one or the other. It had that exact vibe. And then Puppet shows up with his new gimmick, Kevin. Puppet in a cape, and his new gimmick is Pimp Daddy Puppet the Psycho Dwarf Killer. And they will make no attempt to join the dots here, how this guy went from being a psychopath to a psychopath pimp all of a sudden. So what I reckon is, is that at some point between the last show and this show, Puppet found a cape and it's like, I like this. <laughs> and I'm not going to lie to you, when I was in Glasgow, there was a period of time where I was like, you know what, it's December, it's very cold, I made on a cape. Mm, you know, it, yeah. it could be quite, uh, quite good in here. So maybe it's just, it's functional more than anything else. I mean, I guess we should talk about it now. There's yeah. some sad news that come from the world of the WWA. We got a lot of people messaging us about this. It was tragic to hear that Puppet the Psycho Dwarf, he passed away a couple of weeks ago from when we recorded here in September. And his was a name that kind of, I was I was happy to see that he got like kind of a light of outpouring of condolences and things like that. And I would say from all the tributes and whatnot, I found out a lot more about Puppet than we knew going in, I'd say, to the actual the first three episodes of this. Yeah, I, I mean, it was very tragic. It was a very unexpected and sudden death. There's not really any details about his death, but no. it was very unexpected and sudden. And when he passed away, there was like a GoFundMe set up. For his funeral, Because yeah. he did funeral expenses covered, which was really nice to see that it was very, very quickly funded. Like, you know, yeah. there was, and like, for all his failings, the wrestling fandom can be very split and vocal about things and times and be at each other's throats and be at other wrestlers' throats and wrestlers be at their throats. You know, whether it be Jake Roberts or, you know, there's so many people or instances I've seen now of wrestlers just kind of coming together and fans and being like, let's just fucking make sure someone gets a good send-off. Yeah. And that was nice to see. It was. And honestly, so Puppet was someone that I thought when we were doing these shows that, like, we had a lot of issue with the content of his stuff and the stuff that he was saying. But we definitely knew that this guy was someone that was... He had charisma. He had a lot of energy. There was something about him. Power, For know. sure he did. Uh, but I still thought that, like, oh, he's just someone that sort of came and went. People don't really have a lot of, you know, memories or affection attached to him. And then when he passed so suddenly, there was, like you say, this huge outpouring of people, like, expressing that, oh, I used to love this guy. Here's a segment of him that I really liked from back in the day. And it turns out people did have a big fondness for Puppet that I never knew about. Yeah, I was very overjoyed. I think Puppet himself would have been very happy to see my timeline flooded with gifts of him pulling a handgun on yes. Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> That's amazing. So like, I just did a little bit more reading up about him to try and kind of find out more about Puppet because we said he'd been in uh, uh, in a lot of, kind of you know, Hollywood stuff and things like mm. that. Did a quick search. He'd been in like American Horror Story. Yep. He had been in Jackass 3D as well. That's right. But it was actually in his capacity as being in Half Pint Brawlers, which was the kind of hardcore little people, although Puppet reveled in not calling it that, uh, wrestling mm. league that was aired on Spike TV. And that was probably Puppet's biggest exposure to mainstream national television because it was him as a producer and him, his concept. And I, and a lot of people, I actually have to say, I was quite shocked when I saw it misreported quite a lot by a lot of, you know, so-called journalists or whatever. But micro 
Championship Wrestling, which is something that Eric Bischoff and Jason Hervey did, is a completely different production. It has nothing right. to do with Right, okay. And actually ran in opposition to, and many felt cut the legs out from underneath. Seriously. Half-pint brawlers, which was Puppet's kind of big kind of concept that he had where he was like the star and there was a lot of like you know it was real over the top kind of lucha libre storylines with you know brothers betraying brothers and all that yeah. shit some of the noble instances were that they held shows in a maximum security prison they held them at a frat party and the fraternity got kicked off of campus because the show was so offensive Whoa. so like you know he attracted controversy wherever he went and it was the half pint brawlers team that were in that really famous segment from jackass 3d where Wee man is in there and like they had the argument and then all the little people come in as the cops and the the ambulance and all that paramedics and all that so that was his claim to fame he was in like american horror story recently and like you know he was in a lot of a lot of tv shows and movies and things like that like he was pretty active and i think he had kind of a a semi-troubled life over the years i think it's you know like many wrestlers of his time i think puppet was no shortage of like personal demons or whatever Mm. but the one thing that was nice was that even though he left us before his time and all that was that he at least was able to find success for himself outside of wrestling and yeah honestly i mean there was one you know one person who probably actively in his own career worked quite hard to possibly be remembered or stereotyped for one thing he has quite a big career to to look back on which is nice yeah it's it's really hard i think everyone knows it's really hard to leave wrestling and to transition into a different form of entertainment and i mean this is purely an assumption on my part based on the kind of things that i see on television but i get the feeling that for little people particularly there's not a huge amount of work going oftentimes on tv you know you don't see a lot of shows having someone being cast like that so for him to work his ass off and get into as much tv as he did like fair fucks to him and you know what? We spent a long time kind of agonizing about, like, the terms that he used. And, you know, it was one of the reasons why Half Pipe Brawlers was taken off the TV as well and all the controversy got in was his insistence on using that term, you know, yeah. calling it midget wrestling and, and whatnot. And Hornswoggle is someone who's had a lot to say about that subject. You know, Hornswoggle's not the nicest person in the world. He's had a book out recently that I think would be a fascinating bibliotech. Mm. But in an industry that, to your point, not just movies and TV, but you look back to the Bret Hart days of, like, you know, little people being a staple of wrestling, of WrestleMania mm-hmm. cards, like, you know, a big, you know, like names like Little Tokyo and stuff like that. You know, like there are names which were legends who ha- were mainstays for, for groups for many years. And to go from that to there being, like, no, nothing on TV, mm-hmm. bar, like, WWE doing the junior division for a couple of months. Yeah. Or maybe bring it in, you know, El Torito or one person here or there. Like, Hornswoggle and El Torito are probably the only, only little people who got on mainstream wrestling television for, like, 10 years. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. You know, and for all his failings, and I disagree with how he did it, at least he was trying to provide a platform for his fellow wrestlers who were no longer able to find work for themselves. Yeah. So, you know, certainly wrestling changing its viewpoint has caused a lot of these performers to not get the work they once would have gotten easily. That's it. It's not like little people wrestling itself is inherently in bad taste. It's the way it was presented was in bad taste. So rather than finding a better way to present it, like WWF did in 1997, it seems like the industry is just like, we won't do that at all anymore. We'll just keep that off of our show. And I mean, everyone kind of goes, oh, WLC and all that. But I'm like, yeah, but like, even still, WLC, I kind of, kind of put the blinders up a little bit and be like, all right, we're going to try and ignore some of these jokes. It, yeah, it was just a joke at, match. Like, Look at look at Max Mini. Let's let's just have someone like... There there, go. There's got to be a Max Mini out there in the world. Someone surely can book this and mm. do it dignity. I think it would be nice to see. And I definitely think 
Hornswoggle's book for a future bibliotheque will be eye-opening. Yeah. Okay, we'll consider that. <laughs> the trepidation! We'll consider that. I've just did the loveliest book ever by the lovely Pete Gass, and now they you're asking me to go into... Pete Gass. I know, I know. So, this is a typical WWA section yep. with Tio and Puppet. Tio's coming up to Medeja with flowers after attacking and stripping her. They now are trying to court her to be their valet. And Medeja is kind of like, well, I can't be both your valets. Enter Mike Dwayne The Rock Johnson Sanders. <laughs> he reels off all of his material about being short. And it's like, all right, he is definitely meant to be a face. He's like, you're little, get it? He's like, look yep. at the camera. Like, look at these guys. They're short, man. What's that all about, man? He says, get it. Like, it's, it's, imagine if The Rock said, get it after one of his jokes. Uh, the, the, the simple line from Adesha, please, I keep telling you, I'm not a hoe. Oh, poor Medeja. Okay, you've done a mistake here now, WWA, right? Because Medeja is a very beautiful, sexy lady. And also, I can't get over that story about Colcabana, about like her being like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a yeah. flight attendant now, and I enjoy my life traveling. I've always liked traveling. I have such sympathy for this woman right now. Mm. And I don't like where this is going No, nope. Nuh-uh. And Commissioner Mike Sanders is not sympathetic at all because he wants her to be a special guest referee. So it's Puppet versus Tio with referee Medeja later on tonight. But don't worry, we've got another last four toys at the car boot oh, sale match boy. coming at you. Fuck Buff me. Buff Bagwell, Johnny Swinger, the guy's so nice they did the same gimmick twice, mm -hmm. taking on Norman Smiley okay. and Malice. That's the wall, brother! All the way up there! Jesus, Mary and Joseph, sure it's the wall himself. How are you now? Ah, there it is now. <laughs> Can you hear me, Wall? Are you? What are you having for your tea, Wall? I said, what are you having for your tea? Ah, oh, you can't hear me. It's oh, all right. It's, it's too high. It's too high. Did, did you remember when we got to witness the thigh tattoos of Malice before? Yes, he was in the XWF, Kevin. He was in your face, like you know. This is promising to me because I thought, like, this is the penultimate episode. We're wrapping it up soon. Maybe we're not going to get to see the stars we wanted to see, but there's still time. The wall came in. There's still hope that Ian Harrison might get brought in for the final show, Kevin. You never F know. Fingers crossed, man. Please. Fingers crossed. You want to see him team up with the Johnny Swinger and the Buff Bagwells of the world, I'm pretty mm. sure. The heels jump Norman at the start as the wall has to walk slowly down from the top of that really tall building to get to the ring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a... Uh, Oh, I, I feel so much like Billy Keeble right now, where I'm just like, oh, I've got a fun, really dark-sided fact for you here about this show. Uh, give it to me. This pay-per-view is one year to the day before the wall would pass away. Jesus. Exactly 12 months after this event is when he died. Because he was used in early TNA, and I remember they built... They booked him like a fucking killer, like a mm. total hoss. Like Malice was just like... And you see him here... You never would have seen this in the best of nine table series, you know. No. And maybe it was the emotions getting in the way of things that, that led to that. <laughs> but this guy's got Bill Buchanan levels of spryness. He does. I would go yeah. far as to say he's got a little bit of the better than Nathan Jones, but not quite Bam Bam Bigelow spryness. Is that fair to say? Yeah. No, that, that's a very apt way of putting it, I think. He's definitely above Nathan Jones, and he should have been more main eventing than Front Row ever was. I will say as well about Retribution, this is coming into our third match here now. 
everyone's shtick as it's meant to be working is working because mm-hmm. we had a lot of times of like you know buff bagwell or stevie ray doing heel stuff to the crowd and the crowd are like what what even is this like what do you do yeah or like when the wrestlers are doing all the near falls and the crowd started laughing because they'd never seen it before yeah everyone here like they start doing the heel kind of slow down house show tactics people love it yep. they love the stalling they love the comedy they're fine that norman smiley and johnny swinger are doing around 85 percent of the work yeah and i was genuinely impressed with malice yeah no genuinely same because like at first i was like oh god it's the wall he's gonna fucking lumber around but honestly this match is actually pretty good it's fine like conan commentating almost less than he wrestled here tonight which is pretty good i think he honestly went, yeah, at one point disco keeps talking about how dancing has no place in wrestling and norman smiley makes him sick and i'm like okay that's good i like that i, I get it he that's says funny. it about eight more times though he just keeps bringing like he's one of these guys is like oh that joke works i think i'll just keep saying it and keep saying it like so i preferred that a lot more to his kind of uh skin color material that he was doing where he, he's just, he just randomly started going, you know what, JB? Norman Smiley is like Richard Pryor. No, no. Norman Smiley is like Eddie Murphy. Like, those are three men who look very, very, very different. Skin tone notwithstanding, like. That's some serious JR, like, Farouk reminds me of James Earl Jones, like, levels of, I know, multiple black men. I've heard about a black person before. Let me tell you. Bottom line for you. Like, <laughs> sorry, that's more than shot of Randy J. Fucking hell. So, he keeps talking about the Glasgow bathhouses. Yeah. Which, I don't know. It didn't sound as cool when you were in Las Vegas. And like, we went to the strip club last night. When you're like, I went to the bathhouse in Glasgow last <laughs> night. Like, or are you going to be like, yeah, when I was in Lincoln, I went to that room above the Chinese restaurant in Monks Road. Oh. You know the one. <laughs> The one the really good chips that no one ever else went to other than me and you. What's that all about? <laughs> get a hot mal to Tagus. Comes in, shows some good fire. We get a big talent for the big wiggle, which really, really sets everyone off. They like the big wiggle here from Norman Smiley. I, th- I think we can say that Glasgow is just as into the, like, gay bashing as Australia was. Even if they do tone it down in this show compared to oh, Inception. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, look, it's... They're fans of wrestling as it was presented in this year. Mm-hmm. They're here for sexy women. They're here for crude, lowbrow jokes. And they want some action. They want to laugh. And they want to go, ooh, and ah. Uh, like, they're giving... Like, this is the one time I felt that the WWE are like, What's re- what do wrestling fans want? Ah, they want this, don't yeah. they? And it's the one time they've actually given them what they want. But it's kind of a damning indictment of what people wanted back then. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> We get a low blow from Buff. He hits the blockbuster off the top rope. The Baddies uh, win. Sorry, do you not mean the high society, Kevin, is what he hit? Blockbuster, mate. What are you talking about? Who'd Rodney, who'd Rodney ever be? Rodney's mum never complained to him. Like, you know? <laughs> I don't want you hanging around with that Pete Gas boy anymore. <laughs> Massive heat. Malice runs him off. Buff fucks up and he couldn't go over the top rope. So oh, he the ring. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Backstage... Scott Demore with Double J, Jeff Jarrett, who's back in the WWA after being excommunicated by the top brass of the WWA. Yeah, he was excommunicated by the top brass, but then he says here that St. Andrew himself fetched him from the airport just now, so I guess they worked it out, whatever it was. Wait, from the airport? So what, between the last two shows, has he been like living in an airport like the terminal? Like, <laughs> and it's funny because no one can understand his accent because he's in Glasgow and he's talking like this. <laughs> 
he's trying to you know busk to make money but he's breaking the guitars over everyone's heads fuck's sake so look Jeff Jarrett's here in Glasgow and he wants two things tonight he wants a piece of Nathan Jones ass and he mm-hmm. wants a little sleep because he's quite tired Oh, he wants retribution is what he wants Kevin and I do appreciate that Double J did the WWF classic of working the title into your promo that's how it's done Look, Adam, we all want retribution. Like, we all want to be held accountable for their crimes. Like, you know, <laughs> you just you can't hold Gotham City captive like that. Like, Fuck's where's WrestleMania going to fucking run next year? And I quote, midget match with referee Medeja. And Medeja <sighs> is like, she's just wearing, <laughs> she's just wearing like the, the, the T-shirt for the tour. Like, yeah, half the guys are on it. Like, you know, that's what referees wear, I guess. Did you hear the music for Medeja? No, what did she come out to? Okay, right. Let, look, I'm not saying that you can ruin someone's character with the wrong music, but I very much am a belief, I've, we've done a live show for How To about this, that wrestling, the theme music's can create the character and they yes. can help the character be created i think of jake the snakes theme i think oh. of like just speaking of just like random like divas think of like someone like don marie or someone like yeah. that where they had music that was very much like a oh watch out here comes the vixen fucking medasia who dresses at the best of times like she's going to financially dominate you <laughs> and she comes out to this music that's like a do what a do what <laughs> oh boy if i could only get that kiss from adasia and split a chocolate malt and not give her all my paycheck <laughs> oh jeez, medasia i can't come round till i paint my fence and fill up a half quart of cum as a tribute to you fucking shit Oh, I, I think we can say definitively now the music in WWA has always been trash and they've never shown any desire to improve on it in the slightest. I was begging for... That's way more fitting for Medeja. Like yeah, legit. legit. And of course, Medeja, who's, you know, been mentally held up as like, she's this beautiful woman that they, these guys really want. But now actually the storyline is, can you believe Medeja? She's such a fucking asshole that these two weirdos want her. And yep. they're saying things like, can Medeja even counter three, JV? For fuck's <laughs> sake. Yeah, I, I don't get why everyone's suddenly piling on Medeja now and that she's suddenly a piece of shit for being here. What the did she do? The exact same thing happened in Married at First Sight Australia. <laughs> for fuck's sake. Scotty Steiner's gone and no one feels threatened now, so they're all dog. They're all begging on Medeja, yeah? Medeja's <laughs> not here. To look after herself, you know. It's maybe a boys' night, but you can't all be begging on on begging on old Medasia, you know. Come on, she can't stick up for herself. Puppet comes out for a promo, and he's very much like, a, "Yeah, yeah, Puppet, you'll get three minutes." He's like, "I am Puppet." That no, no, out comes Theo. Puppet looks furious. This clearly oh, was yeah. not planned. Like. No, well, they had it planned, but they had not planned <laughs> to tell Puppet they were putting his fucking promo. And I mean, to your point, Adam, the man's dressed up in some. Some outfit that needs at least a little explanation as to what's going something, on. Something. Something. Was this maybe to do with the Godfather supposed to be here, do you reckon? Do you reckon they were going to pair them up or something? Jesus fucking Christ. Like, I wouldn't put that. it past them. God- Godfather, like, running with all his girls. Like, quickly, leave. Ah, he's coming to get you. <laughs> Conan will not engage with the commentary. He's literally, like, asked his opinion by something. Yep. And he's like, hmm. Like, his arms are folded. Hmm. Yeah, this is my one line I got here from Conan tonight, which is where Disco Inferno says to him, Hey, Conan, how does the midget wrestling in Mexico compare to this? And Conan goes, 
Well, in in Mexico they do lucha libre, so it's a very different style. Oh, he said like he says they're athletic in in Mexico is what he said. They're athletic. So he's basically burying these two lads, saying like this this is like an affront essentially. It's all again. Is he upset because he didn't get his drugs? I don't know what's going on, but he seems like a right sulky prick this evening because that's like he... one of two lines I got from him all night. Did he assume because they were going to Glasgow that's because like I remember like, literally one of my first memories of Glasgow was showing up and someone's like, excuse me, mate, would you like to buy some drugs? I'm like, no, no, I'm fine, thank you. It's like it's all right, that's okay, it's okay. That's way know? more polite than that lad that caught us in London that time. It's just like wait, you... wait, that guy was very polite. He he had written his information down ahead of it. He was pitching right, what he was Just because he had a number written on a bet Fred slip doesn't mean he was polite. He came up to us and he just looked at us like up and down and went do you two smoke weed? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me, sir. We're uh, here know, on a mind, business trip. I don't mind being solicited brazenly, but I'd rather be not from an out-of-breath man, out man accusing me of being on drugs. <laughs> a little bit of a back foot there. It's pretty much the exact same match that they've had the last three shows. Yep. There's no weapons this time, so it's like, you know, Medeja does kind of struggle. She's like, out of place she doesn't know what they're kind of gonna do you know it, it doesn't work it's, mm -hmm. it's not a good idea Tio, i learned this in the match it's not Tio as in t-h-e-o his name is t full stop o full stop standing oh. for totally outstanding oh t-o t-o very very cool indeed puppet hits a fucking gross tko on t-o and then medasia with an incredibly soft count we get a kick out Tio hits a swanton bomb. Tio wins, and uh-oh, here comes Perry Saturn, because we've not done this <sighs> every show. Why do they always do this? It's like, here's these two little people having their match. The match is over. Now let's get some big bastard out here to put them in their place and beat the shit out of them. They always do this. So he kills them both, like Death Valley drivers. Like It's a way stiffer beatdown than, than Scott it's gave them. It's so stiff, this is. It's horrible. And then Medeja's left in the ring, and she's like, oh, no. And I thought they are going to do a thing like the, the two guys would kind of save her. Yep. Or they come together, put their differences aside. No, he's just like, backs her into the corner. They do the usual, like, it's the heel wrestler. He wants to take the woman. And then yep. he just grabs her, forcibly kisses her. And she's like, no. And fuck me, right? Whatever you're backwards memphis justification for being like oh come on it's good fun to have the, the the evil heel be put in her place by being kissed and embarrassed they you know AEW's still doing shit like that and fuck mm. that you know it's, it's, go leave it just leave we honestly need it. but do not on a face and they're like oh no poor medasia then like, come here baby and then as soon as she's kissed disco goes huh how easy is she and then conan chimes in with i thought she wasn't a hoe and then jb with his fucking Martin Luther King Day voice. I guess it's not her decision. Oh, you guess? Do you think? Do you fucking, think that maybe she did, she wasn't into that? Do you reckon? Fucking yikes! She's walking up the ramp with Perry, literally grabbing her, and she's like, yep. "Help! Please help! Help!" And JB goes, "Medasia, obviously taking this all very personally." Yeah, you would a little bit. <laughs> it's horrible. Like it's a really violent abduction. Like he drags her away by the arm, and it looks like it really fucking hurts as well. It's horrid. There's a storyline where. WWE had like Steiner and and Tess, I believe it was, fighting over Stacy Keeber that was similarly miserable because like 
she just get like beat up all the time and laid mm. out and like left to die and they'd be like you know haha she's a slut she's mine Jesus. and then like fucking Tess was meant to be the goody and then he was like the possessive boyfriend and then Scott Steiner is meant to be the fucking goody and then everyone boos Scott Steiner and Tess so they're like let's disrespect her together and then she dressed up as a superhero instead it's like oh uh, my God. what so like that's the most egregious like face woman is like taken away by mm-hmm. a bad man and yeah it's like this ain't like stephanie being getting a kiss by chris jericho no. going, Ooh, get off me you pig it's like just they're showing like that this guy is too scary to stop he's a predator and we are powerless it's fucking horrid coming up next it's just joey legend taking on above average party paramedic mike sanders Sanders coming out immediate burial as he refuses to take off his t-shirt and disco inferno chimes in huh Sanders looks taller than he actually is. For fuck's sake. It's bad enough already as it is with these two nobodies in this match. Like I, like I said before, I find it really hard to try and buy into these two. But could you just not bury them on commentary as well? Can I just say right now, because I think we're not going to agree at all. And I'm not sure it's because I spent two hours reading an interview with the man in the, you know, the Atlanta Journal about his small business he set up. But I really like this match. I really did you did. really? I really did. I actually would go as far as to say, with the exception of any proper wrestlers, right? You know the ones I mean, like proper wrestlers. <laughs> this is the best match the WWE has put on. Don't be like, oh, but what about Eddie? Gar-? I mean, you know, proper wrestlers, lads. Come on. This, as in not proper wrestlers. This is the best. This is the best match they've done. I, I don't know if it's just because you have more attachment to these two guys than me, but I could not have given a fuck about any of this match. I found it really hard to engage with. The audience didn't share your issue. No, no, they... the audience were... Honestly, every single match tonight, the audience are well on board. They are a great crowd. To continue with our terminology we were using from earlier, I'm a simp for a hot crowd, Adam. Like, <laughs> I'll just... I'll go along with anything that says, where, you yeah. know, I'm happy with that, I'm fine with that. If it's a hot crowd, I will forgive... 99% of transgressions and like when they got to the point where they were getting them to chant yes 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 no 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 in the year 2002 I'm like come on now that's yeah. fucking hot that's hot hot wrestling action right there can I ask what the deal is with Joey Legend after every time he gets a two count he sits up and goes hey what's that <laughs> what 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 is that I didn't notice this did you know like, he does it after every two count oh. it's like one two Hey, and he's not like whinging like, oh, I didn't get it. He's like, hey, like Fonz. All right, I was going to ask you about Mike Sanders if you noticed his X Factor style offense. No. Which is that like The Rock or someone who's like, you know, Chris Jericho or someone who's like, you know, a big name that when they do kind of foot stomps or a little elbow drops or hit the ropes on a comeback, they do a little bit of this. Like, oh, yeah, the jigging. Can you describe what I'm doing? <laughs> You kind of look like you're going to give being... you a little bit of, a... Give you a little bit of yeah, a little bit of the Elvis kind of shaky limbs. I'm being electrocuted right now because the music's so good. That's what it looks like to me. <laughs> the fun thing about it was that, like, when he was doing his comeback and the crowd were feeling this, this actually was the only thing that nearly ruined the match. Is that when he started doing his comeback, he's like, "Oh, I'm feeling it now, man. Come on, here now." Yeah, no one will ever be able to confirm or deny how good my Mike Sanders impersonation is. <laughs> I think it's all right, actually. But he's like, oh, I'm feeling it now, man. Come on, I'm feeling a little bit. Yeah, I'm starting to feel a little bit of the juice here. I'm going through my shoulders. And everyone starts kind of going like, what's he doing? Like, you can just hear it like, be like, huh? All right, it's a comeback. Yay. <laughs> there is pretty much one story here, which is two lads who both feel they've never had their chance trying to put on a match that they could say, 
well, I'm a top star. I can make a crowd pop. I can have. I can listen to yeah. the audience. I have in the palm of my hand. And they did. But I will say they got so many of those near falls at the end that it was to the level of comedy because their work was not good enough to necessitate that many pinfalls. No. You know what I mean? And what you said there makes sense because this match is long. This felt like one of the longest matches in WWE history, to tell you the truth. They go for a good while here. I think around 20 minutes thereabouts. Yeah. You know, the crowd are waiting most, if not all the way. JB is long enough to start daydreaming on commentary. I wonder if Bret Hart will ever come back to the WWE, guys. <laughs> Keep it to yourself. <laughs> Seriously, was that going to be on the headsets? Like, what are we fucking doing here now? got a really cool couple of moves by joey legend who he's a name who's not really synonymous we kind of mixed him up with another joe i think when we we're doing the mean three posse book in the first yeah. part who was joey abs but he's part of that group with rhino edge and christian the man can wrestle snapped reverse ddt was something very cool indeed i thought that was a move that i had not seen some cool moves like the big leg drop they went a bit long it's the fucking wwa lads not the g1 yeah legit, joe misses on. a beautiful moonsault sanders with the super kick the announcers cannot hide their genuine stunned reaction. They're like, well, this was good. <laughs> and then at the end of the match, Mike Sanders, to really kind of hit home the point, what do you want to see after a hot match? Is like, I'm going to have Perry Saturn into that hardcore match. You know, the triple threat deal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually, I will say I quite liked that. The idea of a fighting commissioner who's just won his match and he's a like... Physical commissioner, Adam. We've not seen one of those in two years. Yeah, I like the idea of him doing that and then winning his match and being like, I'm in a good mood. I'm going to book another match later on tonight. There's something about that that's kind of fun, I suppose. This fucking bit here now. Here we go. Here it is. Hold on, an Australian minute down under player. It's time for another WWA caption, caption contest. Hey, we're coming to you from the not too distant past, but the future as it relates to the episode. And it's always a good time when we do a caption contest for the WWA because it's kind of like strong, it's kind of like strumming a gong or a death toll. So people are like, oh, there's another WWA episode coming then, is there, lads? Yep. And who's made his WWA debut today, Kevin? It's noted piece of shit, the total package Lex Luger, with the biggest OU face you ever did see. Hey, Adam, this caption contest is sponsored by our good buddies over at Under Consultation, the preeminent Games Master UK review podcast series. Hey, hey. Adam, are you like me? Do you have fond memories of growing up under the watchful eye of Dominic Diamond and Dexter Fletcher about video games in the UK and beyond and learning how to get good at video games and more importantly, learning how to mock others who weren't good at video <laughs> games? Yeah, I remember, to me, Games Master was this show that when I saw it on TV, I was like, they made a show of my favourite magazine, I can't believe it! And then I watched it, and there was a giant, massive old man's head in the sky, and a little boy wanted to try and bargain with him, because the little boy wanted to know how to beat Zelda 3, and I turned it off because I was like, there is no fucking Zelda 3, mate, it's called A Link to the Past. <laughs> what are you talking about, you stupid child? 
I do remember the first time I watched it and there was someone who was stuck on Day of the Tentacle and I was like, this this advice is circumstantial at best. <laughs> at best. But hey, much like you, and you're like, hey, someone made a, a, a TV show of my favorite magazine. Many of you back home are now probably thinking, yes, someone finally made a podcast about my favorite TV show about my favorite <laughs> magazine. It's an episode-by-episode -episode review series of Games Master, publicly endorsed by Dominic Diamond, Ooh. brought to you from Luke Owens and our good pal Ash Farbrother, who's brought us many of our live experiences over the years they finished their first series and are nearing the end of series two now and guests include larry bundy jr paul gannon from cheap show and matthew from botchamania fame and dominic diamond d double himself they're going to lure him away from his canadian outpost to get him on an episode in future he's lined oh, up adam oh no way i think we joked in the past about getting dominic diamond on we were like nah well you know it's funny to joke about but we probably couldn't get d double if we really wanted to but they did it they got him they landed that big fish baby and for those of you who are wondering about the world of wrestling yes there's plenty of wrestling in the world of games master adam are you aware of any wrestling crossover in games master from your viewing back in the day no but i'm gonna go ahead and assume that it's just gonna be a, a bunch of british guys maybe giant haystacks kendo nagasaki that kind of i'm guessing there's no american wrestlers kendo nagasaki did show up there hey. uh, I, I, I'm, I'm well aware of that my favorite all-time wrestling games master moment has to be hacksaw jim duggan showing up to like i don't know leads and going USA and the kids are like whoa what? <laughs> well that was pre 9-11 obviously so he didn't have a lot to ask Dominic Diamond about I guess <laughs> I'm not sure how Willie Nelson got on in Games Master like but he don't need no <laughs> prima donnas when you know he, he don't need no Dave Perry crying because he loses at Mario 64 <laughs> but hey we love both the guys we love the show and look Ash is like if there wasn't an Ash for our brother we wouldn't have ever been able to do a live show so go nope. check him out available where all good podcasts are found now check him out on the socials as well under consultation the games master review podcast it is available for your ears now and if you've got a podcast a kickstarter a project a youtube series a blog whatever it may be and you want to get access to the thirty thousand plus regular listeners of the attitude podcast send us an email attitude podcast at gmail.com subject sponsorship Hey, Adam, let's get into some of these captions. You've got the Twitter. I've got the Facebook. I'm a total package. I will tear them apart. <laughs> so as mentioned, it's Lex Luger looking up to the heavens with a sort of an OU kind of look on his face. And he's wearing what appears to be a baseball uniform, if I had to guess. He has the 1996 Ultimate Warrior, I'm not really trying head garb on here, is what I think's going on. Why would on. you wear a cap? Why would you come out wearing that? No one gets it. What are you doing? <laughs> AKA the most <laughs> offensive thing in the world, according to the people on the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> documentary. Oh man, that would be a hell of a review sometime. That would be absolutely Wouldn't it? beautiful. The self-destruction yeah. of the AE podcast. Fuck yeah. <laughs> well, starting us over here, we've got Susan Nix on Facebook with Lex Luger saying, I'm wrestling in the WWE. Why do you mock me, oh lord? Lex, that's not God. That's just a waffle that Andrew McMahon has tossed up there. Mmm, sacrilegious. <laughs> Steve Clark on Twitter says, Dateline, Glasgow, Scotland. 
The elusive total package continued to thumb his nose at the authorities. Swaggering around in a garish new hat, he seemed to say, Look at me, Vince McMahon. I have a new hat. <laughs> you know the, the big wigs over in the WWE are looking at this going, Damn it, money on the fucking table, brother. Jake <laughs> Mitchell over here, who Facebook assures me is a top fan, which is why he's got a diamond beside his name. And oh. diamonds are forever. And so is Jake Mitchell. Lex Luger is currently trying to remember the name of the show he's at, whether or not the door's unlocked, <laughs> and if the shirt he's wearing is too tight. But does he know all this in the end? I don't know! <laughs> I mean, you, you, what are you doing there as, as Lex Luger is he's visualizing what's going to happen there. And because he's visualizing, right, that's why he's got a shirt that's not too tight and the man interviewing him is not a little pimp. He made his reality actually come to him like that. He vision boarded it like Ryback. <laughs> Gummy Davidson here. Will I get paid by Andy? I don't know! <laughs> Booked against Buff Bagwell to go 20 minutes. I'm pissed now. <laughs> and then he produces the, the big bag of cash. Brilliant top part two, Billy! <laughs> <laughs> Kyrie Crawford over here. I'm glad to see that the results of the Taz Jonathan Coachman gene splicing experiment went well and got a job at interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> And I will say, he's got he's got a shirt that seems to say Jim Ross on like WWF Confidential, like you know, is Absolutely. that really? Absolutely, yep. He's not quite a Jim Ross on Shot of Brandy, like you know, uh, but he's, he's nearly there. <laughs> oh god, I still haven't watched that. I haven't brought myself to view it. Dave Scott with Luger. Not only do I have four percent body fat, but I also make four percent of the ticket sales. <laughs> well, Lex, well, Lex, what's four percent of nothing? What? I'm pissed now. <laughs> We got one here from Jeremiah Nelosi. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. I'm here with the thin Abdullah the Butcher. Um, Lex Luger. Uh, yes, Lex Luger. He's got the eyes, hasn't he? He's got yeah. the eyes that seem to say, I might run out of ribs, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> Chaz Crowley. I actually gasped when I read this one. Chaz Crowley. Yes, I did sell those drugs to Miss Elizabeth. But as Gabbo would say, I'm a bad whittle boy. Fuck me, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, my. It feels like you get this sense with, with Luger. It's like when Snooker showed up once and we were like, all oh, right, we got, the, we got like the fucking backlog of all the jokes that we have to use at him. Like, you know, <laughs> gotta, gotta get through quickly. Hence why he's here in the caption contest. James Howlett here. As Dr. Cox was grilling me for the 40th time today, <laughs> I couldn't help but imagine what my life would have been like if I married Elliot. And if I could add, James, a small addendum. Part two, Billy, the door's locked too. That was a very good little, little, just a hint of Zach Braff you added to your voice there doing that, Thank Kevin. You. I really liked it. Thank you very much. DX the Great here says, interviewer, so Luger, how does it feel being here in Stygian? And I just wanted to use this as a chance to remind everyone that has no idea what Stygian is. You can learn all about Stygian, the prison of hell, by listening to myself and Billy review <laughs> The Undertaker comics from 1999 <laughs> on Patreon. Oh my gosh. Uh, we have one here from Mark Chamberlain. Sometimes I like when people just come out and like, you know what? I, I don't need no jokes. I'm here to cut this man down to size. Mark Chamberlain, 
You can't wrestle, your promos suck, and the mere mention of your name makes me sick. You truly are the total package, Mr. Luger. <laughs> is, 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 is it wrong of me to think that Mark Chamberlain wrote this comment in a large leather-bound chair, possibly sipping whiskey? <laughs> TJ Fritz here with, I know you can read my thoughts, Adam. Meow, 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 A lot of people are pointing out that his cap is too tight, Billy. Yep. Ice Twister here says, And your bags of money with dollar signs on them are too tight too, Andy. <laughs> Sean Parfish, Lex looking up at the big show. Shut up, of course they've signed the big show. He's just camera shy. <laughs> oh. Oh, Day Cryptic Rock here says, with Luga looking up at the ceiling. You got me, Stinger. You got me. <laughs> Nathan Ken Major. Dad, I want Hulk Hogan. We have Hulk Hogan at home. Hulk Hogan at home. The picture of Lex. <laughs> we got one here. Well, I think this might be the, the good one to round off the Twitter here with. Uh, from Bob Rossington. They changed Lexi. He's better than ever. Wait, don't be fooled. He's just a regular Lex Luger with a stupid cheap head. He still embodies all the awful stereotypes he did before. But he's got a new hat. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's absolutely beautiful. Well, thank you all for your comments, captions, references, goofs, etc. And don't forget, you can suggest upcoming caption contests anytime there's an episode in the pipeline that you think, oh, that might be a bit of fun. And as always, if there's something you'd like to sponsor the caption contest with, hit us up on attitudeairpodcast at gmail.com or on patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. But Adam, it's time to head back to lovely Glasgow. Let's get on the let's get on the clockwork orange. Let's head down there. Let's do it. We're gonna be fine. It's gonna be okay. We'll uh we'll get a macaroni pie or something to cheer you up. It'll be good. Off yeah. we go! No! So here we are. What appears to be a wax figure of total package <laughs> Lex Luger from one of those dodgy Madame Tussauds offshoots you see down in Bristol. He's joined by Scott Demore. He looks absolutely fucked. He does. Stinging me, we're coming out of retirement. We haven't wrestled in 18 months. Then he takes off the hat. And for Sting, this isn't financial. All right. Okay, yeah, but it is for for, you, is it? For you? Yeah. God, it better be financial. You need money for some sort of, I don't know, fucking... What are those things in comic books where they put you into a machine and transfer your body into something else? Because this one looks pretty much done here. Like, I don't know what happened here. <laughs> He's got like shades of the leader wanting to have his body put in the Incredible Hulk and the process doesn't work properly. This was, uh, this was hard to watch. And we have to watch this guy wrestle in the main event later on, Adam. He says, I will tell Sting one thing. He knows this about me. I won't say anything about him. Whenever I'm playing Monopoly with my kids or playing chess with my kids or checkers with my kids, I play to win. How about a slap on a total package? What is a paddle to Sting? What is It's showtime. Well, it's a total package time. <laughs> this is bad. This, this is was... really, really bad. This is like we're getting to heroes of wrestling levels now of concern. 
And how dare you, Lex Luger? How dare you, having curiously avoided our podcast, by and large, I think other than Night of Destiny, Starcade, and here, there, he may have shown up very, very briefly. But here's a man who's managed to avoid the ire of this podcast. And most podcasts that have t- dealings with Lex Luger are more concerned with him going his shah and stuff like that after mm. most... He does make very silly noises. My point being, the man is too distracting in his innate on the fucking marquee shitness Mm. that you don't have any time to kind of go back and go yes he does do shit promos he does look like an embarrassment he cannot string two words together he will have a terrible match he Mm. does look like a total piece of shit he is one of the worst examples of politics in wrestling ever he is a total package that he'll rip you apart but we don't even get to talk the fact that this fucker is the main reason that Miss Elizabeth is dead. And I don't care if that makes me out of line or anything like that. If this fucker was not around, Miss Elizabeth wouldn't have died when she did. And he's gotten away with it. I see this fucker walking around in his fucking walker, making out like he's a changed man and all that and being sad. And he's never fucking been held accountable for it. She's in the ground because of Lex Luger. And you go, oh, really? WWF Confidential, in their infinite wisdom, released the fucking 911 call of this fucking jabroni being like, oh, do, 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 I've killed her. Like, you know, it's fucking, it is the one time I have felt truly, absolutely, like, you know, there's embarrassment to be a wrestling fan, but Mm. I've never felt ashamed and at a loss of words to be a wrestling fan. When I did the How To Wrestling episode about Macho Man Randy Savage, and I had to tell Joe why Miss Elizabeth died and how, and how she died. And also that the guy that I was talking about in relation to her death is not in any, he's more hated for Mm. going to WCW. Yes. And look, seriously? Miss Elizabeth? Like, mm-hmm. come on! One of the most beloved women in wrestling for that period, like... The most tragic fucking story in wrestling ever, mm. it feels like. And I just, yeah, I thought I'd get out of my system right now because as much fun as it will be to make fun of what a piece of shit and what an embarrassment Lex Luger will be later on, it just, it disgusts me that he gets this fucking Jimmy Snooker, ah, well, he did a really bad thing, but what are you going to do? Well, maybe we should think of something to do. You know, maybe we should think of a way to let everyone know that this guy's a piece of shit. But know. more importantly, the Lex Express, Kevin, his big push, that's what everyone really wants to hear but about. he had a big car, didn't he? Yeah, he did. That's yeah. his story. Yeah, and Hulk Hogan had a monster truck and he did worse things as well. Like, let's mm. get our priorities in line, folks, right? <laughs> Lex Luger is a bad fucking dude. And if this grim scene couldn't be made any grimmer, as the interview ends, Medeja is being dragged away by Perry Saturn through the corridor and she mouths to an ambivalent Scott Timore, Help me. <laughs> what a what a hoe, am I right? Honestly, she's so easy. Oh, yes, here we go. It's time for the NWA Championship, a.k.a. the real main event. You can't convince me this isn't. As front row Nathan Jones sets his sight on the NWA's heavyweight champion of the world, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. And Adam, I am so happy that we finally, on this podcast, get Jeff Jarrett's TNA entrance music. Fucking A. And what appears to be the dirtiest slow old man laugh ever in the world. Because he goes... <laughs> Let's like do any a fucking of the lines. haunted house ride or something. Let's do any of the lines about Medeja. We can just now cut in that laugh in there as well. Just laughing. 
Hey, May, I thought Medeja said she's not a hoe. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit of poetry here, and I've always loved this song because it's one of the songs that also had the TNA pre-themes that I've talked about before in the oh, podcast. Oh, yeah. Where Jeff would be walking to the ring and I'd be like, Jesus. And I now present to you my world, Jeff Jarrett theme song, and here are the lyrics. The earth is not your place. The pale skin is on your face. If you step inside with me, you will see a king. He ain't dead. He is Jeff. <laughs> wait, no, that's not in there. What? Nobody, nobody he ain't... Hear, wait, nobody wait, 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 wait. Talk in my world. Wait, 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 wait. What was that little bit of dialogue there? He ain't dead. He is Jeff. What's that? <laughs> It's, it's the lyrics. It's the lyrics. Oh, oh, he ain't dead. He is Jeff. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the, the world, opposite of death. The world is not your place. The pale skin is on your face. If you step inside with me, you will see a king. He ain't dead. He is Jeff. Don't want to hear your big mouth talking. My world, my world, we were, we're. He ain't I, dead. He is Jeff. He is Jeff. Adam, I've been absolutely bottling that in for a week. That <laughs> <laughs> uh, is big, same energy as H-A-R-D-Y-O-E-S-O. H-A-R-D, hard to swallow. I mean, you say what you will about Double J, all right? He is Jeff. <laughs> no, he is Jeff. He is Jeff. He's not dead. He is Jeff. Yeah, I had to put in the, the lyrics there. A double Very check nice. that. I've probably heard that a million times. And I've you know it's one of those things where you kind of you sing along and you don't know the lyrics. We do now. And it's <laughs> a rare, rare, rare sighting. You know, this is a rare sighting. You know, he ain't dead. He is PVC double J. <laughs> what do you reckon to the look here? He's, I don't know. I think he looks fine. Honestly, at this He's point. He's changed it up a bit, you know. At this point in the show, I was so starved for like star power and like someone of like more high quality, like just someone that's a bit more name recognition to him. That he could have come out here literally wearing a nappy, and I would have still been like, "Yes, Double he J's is here. Jeff. He is. <laughs> he ain't dead. Have, the fans could chant that. He is Jeff. He, he is, is Jeff. Jeff. So I don't know if you picked up on this, but Double J, far from being my world, dead king, skid off your face. He's actually a face here now. I don't know yes. if you heard that. Yeah. And there's a little bit of a retcon as he was coming out. JB is like. Since we last saw Jeff Jarrett, he's been wrestling all over the world as the NWA's world champion. He is by many considered to be a wrestler's wrestler. Okay. Now, I've heard the term a comedian's comedian. Like, Stuart Lee mm. is often called a comedian's yes. comedian because he's a comedian that lots of comedians like. Mm-hmm. But uh, calling him a wrestler's wrestler? Generous. I mean, most wrestlers that I knew usually had less than favorable things to say about Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. Nathan Jones, coming to the ring. He is nearly seven feet tall. You know, Uh-oh. I can't help it. Every time I see Nathan Jones, I'm always like, oh, here we fucking go. It's Nathan Jones. And then he comes out and I'm like, actually, I I can see it. I can see what they saw in him every time. It's something about his big triangular body that he looks like this big action figure. Like, it doesn't matter how well aware I am of his shortcomings. Every time I see him, I'm like, God, go on. Give it a proper go this time, Nathan. Come on. Was it because he had a goatee this time? 
That could be it, maybe. Mm. It might be the goatee. Absolutely the smallest reaction by far. Yeah. No one knows who he is. No, no one cares. And it says a lot that Andrew McManus thought this guy was useless. Yeah, you know? legit. Very, very funny. So it's a rubber match, technically, between yep. these two guys. Mm-hmm. The commentators are like, a new side of Nathan Jones. It's the usual. He can't fucking do shit. Double J, hand-holding shite here. If you ever need a definitive, why is Jeff Jarrett not on the same level of like a Bret Hart or a Ric Flair? And look, I think people spend a lot of time comparing wrestlers all the time. Hmm. But like, I know that Bret Hart was able to get, you know, what was that guy? Tom, whatever his name was. There was like a big strongman, completely useless side who couldn't wrestle at all. Famous story, Brett wrestled a match with him, Vince oh, thought he was a big deal. This famous match that finally got released like last year or yeah. whatever. Like yes. Yeah, Ric Flair made Giant Gonzalez look like he could fucking be a world champion. Yeah. Double J can't make Nathan Jones seem like he's worthy for the NWA title in two thousand and two, no. which honestly put it on Puppa, I'm sure it'd be grand. Nathan now goes nah after every move. So I that's like that. something he's picked up. That's good. The- crowd getting a little bit behind Jeff but they feel like they want to boo him more or less like Jeff's more like the sneaky baddie who's kind of everyone likes secretly here because he cheats if I mean Jeff can be a baby face I think I, I think he is a good enough wrestler that he can be a face but he's also such a good heel that if you want to turn him face we need to see him turn face you can't just bring him out and be like oh you got to cheer him now even though last time seven or eight months ago whatever it was you hated him just just cheer him now would you i think he did a good job of like make of realizing the fans didn't like nathan at being kind of like look i'm gonna have a bit of fun we'll hit him with the guitar we'll all have a good time yeah. here Jeff is bust up from like the two moves Nathan Jones. He just does a beal across the ring, a couple of elbows in the corner. Jeff's fucking busted up. That's like, that's real bad news right there, Mm. you know. And then we get Nathan Jones just turns around and attacks the referee. Nathan gets a guitar shot. Referee counts to three on guitar strings and shards. It was a really, really bad match. Yeah, that was very, very poor. Disco comes out. I want to ring an ounce now. Why? Conan is gone at this point now. Yeah, Conan has definitely left the building. So Conan is gone. Disco Inferno up to ring announce. And tonight's match is going to triple threat. Sabu taking on ECW alumnus Simon Diamond, one of my all-time faves. And fellow ECW alumnus, the recently signed Perry Saturn. Now, there was big controversy with Sabu at one of their first shows, Adam. It was probably, according to St. Andrew in his interview, it was the biggest controversy that he witnessed while part of the WWA. Oh, what was this about? You remember when Sabu came out with the turban that had the American flag on it? Ah... When he took it off and threw it to the ground, there were yeah. Marines in the audience in Las uh, Vegas, and they thought he was, here comes this Arab wrestler disrespecting oh, the flag. Boy. Far be it from the you know, American-born and made Sabu, like, showing his genuine love for the country, it was viewed as, like, the Taliban are coming to destroy the WWE. Oh, for fuck's sake. Don't worry, here's a corrupt Australian man to make it all better. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, have you ever seen Simon Diamond before? Not that I remember. I mean, 99% of the time when you ask me this question, I say, no, I have no idea who it is. And then you say, well, actually, we did them on one of their WCW shows or whatever. So maybe I have. Off the top of my head, I don't think I have. I know the name and I know that he's someone that is from ECW and has got his fans. And I was very excited for this three-way when I heard who was going to be in it. So I had very high hopes. 
He's one of my faves from, you know, I used to watch ECW back in the day. My first exposure was ECW on TNN, which I think is really funny that, like, it was a lot of people's first exposure. But according to the documentary, we're dead and we're hitting bullet after bullet after bullet. <laughs> so, like, I feel bad where I'm like, I like Kid Cash and Easy Money, like, and mm. Roadkill. <laughs> Simon was one of my faves mainly because he was one of the guys who benefited from Paul Heyman's great idea if he thought you were missing something, which is mm. he give you an entourage. And he would come out, Simon Diamond, in his big baggy robe. And you can see his character here. He's the intellectual. He kind of puts his finger on his chin and goes, ha, ha, ha. And he's really out of place in ECW. And I like that, the idea of a heel who's kind of just shouldn't be here in this promotion. Mm -hmm. And he will be accompanied to the ring by Jason, the sexiest man alive, who's just an oiled up man with big arms. I remember him, yeah. He was with Just Incredible at one point. And also as well, inexplicably, a very tall usher from a 1950s movie house who would come (laughs) out with like... You know, one of those old little, like, torches and his little hat on. Yeah. Like, Come this okay. way. <laughs> what? Coming out to some fucking Swedish death metal. It was great stuff indeed. Wow. And he starts off with the way all his promos went. Adam, Simon has a problem. And then he talks about what's wrong with this city. And he always referred to himself as being a blue chip athlete. Which I just think is not something that you should be allowed to call yourself. I love it. Yeah, legit. (laughs) That's something that only JR is allowed to say about you. And he would always go in the end like, ah, ah, I didn't say, Simon says. And he'd always rile up the crowd like that. And of course, like, he'd get the shit knocked out of him all the time. Yeah. Big fan for him. He was he was a while in TNA as a producer. Disco Inferno, having seen him in several matches now, decides to call the suicidal, homicidal, death-defying maniac Darbu. Darbu. And he comes out to that music again there, Kevin, so you did get to hear it tonight. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll tell you what I hate. It's my most hated thing in the world. I hate the sad, hot lady imprisoned by wrestler trope. I fucking hate it. So many times we've seen it. Do you you have like a particular worst example of it? Because for me, it's Lita and Kane, like... Lee and Kane was bad, particularly when like she was pregnant exactly. as well. Yeah. I mean, I know when Nidia was made blind by Jamie Noble <laughs> and Tajiri, that was a real hard Fucking one because hell. you have Jamie Noble be like, you don't tell her that I'm cheating on her right over here with this girl because she's blind, baby. Mm. <laughs> like, there's some of them were like really played up for comedy, I guess. This ain't played up for comedy, though. This is no. played up like for drama and it makes it way well, worse yeah it is played up for drama but they're definitely not showing any sympathy for Medeja or anything no. it's not like we're meant to feel bad for her it's just like this is happening Sabu and Saturn take the majority of this one It's mm. it shouldn't have been a triple threat it very much feels like this was going to be a match that had been laid out and then Perry was added to it and they decided to try and do it on the fly a bit Sabu and Saturn in the ring, pretty sif stuff, bit sloppy to be honest, not the mm. best dance partners in the world. Simon avoids conflict, which works with his character, but it makes the match seem like your typical triple threat. Yeah, exactly. There's nothing really... I had very high hopes, expecting this to be the match of the night, and it's fine. I mean, the sloppiness you expect in a Sabu match, that's kind of half the reason I enjoy Sabu matches, is because anything can happen. Where's but Crowbar? It... Exactly, yeah. That, if we'd have put Crowbar in here as well, maybe, I think... Because he, he had some amazing matches with Sabu. He's been for WWE. putting him over as well. Yeah. Every show he's been put over as being like the fucking most crazy guy in the WWE. But he's not showing up here tonight, I not guess. Here. The best thing that happens in the entire pay-per-view, they take Disco Inferno's chair away from him and he goes from being like, hey, you can't do that. It's like, give me back my chair. <laughs> give me back my chair. 
<laughs> legit ruined his night. Like, So Sabu dives to the outside on the chair with the springboard. They're just fucking smashing everywhere. Sabu's bus up blah. At this point, I wrote down, forget about Medasia. She's a non-factor <laughs> because she did not really show up at much at all. There's a cool double submission spot on Sabu. Yes, I like cool. that. Crowd wanted a table more than anything else. Yeah. Once they got it, it didn't really really work very well. Perry Saturn went for an elbow drop, and that was the one time where I was like, oh, okay, bad times then, Perry, because he struggled. Yeah, which is crazy, though, because like, he struggled with the elbow drop, but at one point in the match, he does a springboard leg drop where he bouts off, and then he turns midair with the leg drop, and he fucking he floats and glides so majestically. It's that, like It's I mean, you can't blame him for having the occasional slip-up if the rest of it's going to be this good while he's in such a bad way, I guess. It is a showcase of Perry Saturn's wrestling ability in 2002, warts and all, I think. You know, yes, Because he is, absolutely. like, the, you feel that... You would feel, I'd say, what normal companies, that this is like, right, he's going to be, like, a contender for a title or a top guy, but, you know, they're not booking these shows with a view to doing another show. It's just nah, for tonight, I guess. So Diamond finally gets in the ring, goes through a table. It was not caught on camera nope. or by any eyes because everyone was looking elsewhere. So we got no replay. They bring out another table that's way smaller. Oh, for fuck's sake. Let's try again, shall we? And then Puppet and Tio come out. Yeah, they're like, they okay, they're going to beat up Perry. They're going to save Medasia. I thought they were going to strip Medasia again. I genuinely thought that's what was going to happen. That's, I mean, that is what I was expecting. There was a part of me that knew that was going to be the result. But there is still also part of me that's like, okay, storytelling here. Puppet and Tio are going to come back for revenge. They're going to get Perry Saturn. They're going to save Medasia. And then Medasia's going to be like, okay, maybe I shouldn't have judged these guys too harshly. Maybe I can manage both of them. But no, because they come in, they attack Perry Saturn. And then Medasia stops them and defends Perry. Yep. And then Sabu hits the... White Russian leg sweep off the top rope to Simon. Puppa and Tio beat and strip Medasia. So they do do it then, yeah. Okay. Again! Great, right. And as they do that, Disco oh Inferno. Disco Inferno with these two little people beating up and stripping a woman on TV. Disco Inferno. This is wrestling. This is wrestling the way it's supposed to be. And then they both go, puppies! And that, I'm pretty sure, is intellectual property. Yeah, that's either probably Jerry trademarked. Or, or WWE. So, Saturn and Medasia just leave and get the triple jump moonsault. Sabu wins. It was a mess. It was the worst was hardcore match so far. Very messy. And also, probably didn't put it over there while we were talking about it, but long. Way yeah. too long. Way, the, the crowd struggled in this one. Yes. They, they started to show their, their, their anger, let's just say, or lack of joy. Backstage, Sting. A man called Sting. It's a man called Sting doing a promo. No, you don't do this. A man called Sting should be... Less promos. That's me. I think Sting yes. serious. You see him in the distance going, it's showtime. That's all I need. Yeah, maybe even have the interviewer try and get a soundbite from him and Sting just ignores him or says one word or something. We don't need a long promo. Especially when... Oh, the contents of this. This great line in this promo. He's doing a retort to what Lex said earlier about how they spent all this time on the road together when they were younger. And he says, 15 years on the road, Lex. 15 years on the road, traveling in those cars. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, what have you been doing in the last 18 months? Because I've been bonding with my wife and daughter. What have you been doing, Lex Luger? Have you been building your character? And I'm like, nah, he's just been building up his tolerance to drugs as oh, Jesus continues to be fed loads of drugs of drugs. You know the real sad thing as well about this? 
Got a lot of people are messaged in their stories about coming to these shows. Miss Elizabeth was advertised for this tour. Jesus. And she was on this tour, but she was not comfortable appearing in front of the fans. Oh my god, yeah, you're right. I, I remember reading this as well, actually. Yeah. Um, apparently she just, she saw how Medeja was being treated and she was like, okay, I don't want to be on the show anymore. I'll be here, but I won't be on the actual product. That's so fucking sad. She'd Fuck. appear in a Russo Nitro to fucking wrestle Daphne, but she won't wow. show up in the WWE. Where Says it all. Says it all. Luger versus Sting, WWE Championship. I'm fucking terrified about this, Jesus Christ. When Luger comes out... Oh... My and God. I'm really sorry if I fucking blew a gasket there earlier because I just like, I felt so angry when I had to kind of, you ever get those things in rest and it happens with me and how to a lot where it's like, no, I've just kind of repressed that or accepted it or like, mm. you know, Vince McMahon got accused of sexual assault or uh, in a yeah. tanning salon in 2005. But I'm like, I, I thought about that 10 years ago. So therefore it's okay. You're like, no, let's actually have a look at some of these things. Yes. And you kind of get challenged on it a bit. That's why I like doing the show. I feel like Lex Luger, I had just, I have been one of those people who just kind of kindly forgotten about that. And it's like, oh, yeah. he's, he's not getting on well anymore. So therefore I have, he has my sympathy because Lex Luger, if you've seen him recently, he is a shell of his former yeah, self. Yeah, like. And it says a lot about my hatred that I feel in my heart for Lex Luger right now that I still felt sorry and concerned for him when he came out. Mm. I was like, whoa, turn him around, put him back in there. Yeah. Like, no, no one deserves to perform looking like this or experience what he's about to experience. No way. And to think this is the man they're putting up against Sting. Because Sting, like, say what you want, he looks amazing here. It's his first match since WCW closed. That is a big get for this company. This could have been a huge main event with the right dance partner. And they put him with Lex Luger here, who looks like such a fucking Heroes of Wrestling state. It's horrifying. The thing that was most pathetic about it all, and, you know, to describe Luger when he comes out... He looks like, I'll, I'll grab an old William Regal quote, which he used to describe during his twilight years as a wrestler. He said, even though I've got a body like a badly made bed, I'll still go out there and fight. Because he was like, I'm all kind of lumpy and falling apart. And like, mm. you know, it doesn't work the way it's used to. It's not sturdy. It's just big and fucking bulky and all that. Mm. And Luger looks like it's one foot in front of the other is a yeah. struggle. His upper body is like, it's like he's went through an incredible Hulk transformation. Someone snapped him out of it midway. It looks like he's half monster fucking yep. transformation. His torso is like really long and his shoulders are so big. It's like kind of cupping his ears and he's got these little chicken legs and he can barely, he can barely walk. He's like top. No. He's not only is he top heavy, he's front heavy. His chest is so ballooned up that he looks like he's about to tip forward at any given moment in time. Do you remember in the game Spore when you could make a monster and it would be like the game would figure out how to make that thing walk even though clearly nature would never allow this thing to walk? Yeah. That's how he moves around here. He moves like he's glitched or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's fucked. You know? Like you'd, you'd, you want it to open up the cart and give it a blow and put it back in with Luger here. That's how it's mm. fucking looking. So here we go. Main event here in Glasgow. Fake Sting versus Ian Harrison for the WWE title. Oh, <laughs> Sting literally comes out to another slapper in the face. And like, as Sting is coming out, Luger's like, 
he's feeling this because Sting's coming out. I was feeling it with Sting. Sting coming yes. out looking, as you said, just like Sting. It's fucking showtime. He's pointing left, he's pointing right. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Sting fan in the world in that I've watched very little of Sting's career, mm. but I get it. I totally get Sting as a, as a character. And the fans are... Adam, it's like they've like the seen some of the level of Bret Hart, except he's actually going to wrestle. Yes, yeah, so happy. That's what it is. This is like the first time WWE has got like a major, major, like this guy actually was a top babyface at some point in time and he's still in good condition and he's going to wrestle in the main event. This that is was... by far the biggest opportunity WWE has had to book a main event. And that was their biggest problem here as well because when all this is going down in the ring, Lex Luger, all that hits him and he feels it. And that was mm. such a bad idea because he feels it and he's like, okay. I'm feeling this. We're doing this. Hit, hit the ropes here, warm up. And he hits the ropes to do the usual, you know, run the ropes, do the, you know, I'm the big jack dude, yeah. get warmed up, brother, moving the arms, do the bushwhacker dance, whatever the fuck it is. And he hits that rope and immediately it's like first day of wrestling training. Yeah. These ropes are too tight too, Billy. Yeah. He, he, uh, the face on him, he's like, uh-oh, uh-oh, mm-hmm. uh-oh, uh-oh. This is going to be hard. Uh-oh, I just used over a third of my gas tank to try and hit those ropes there, and I've wasted all that energy, and I regret it immediately. I had zero expectations for this, by the yeah, way. Yeah, same. And same. even still, I was blown away. And I think this is the lowest quality wrestling I've ever watched in my life and i'm including heroes of wrestling with it because none of us were expecting the bushwhackers or cold off or anyone to do anything Mm. all right this is this is the main event for the title two big names who Mm -hmm. 18 months ago were national tv headline and pay-per-views it's true i should expect something less than 10 minutes, including entrances, which take oh, their time. Yeah, we're talking like six, seven tops here. And during the actual six, seven minutes of wrestling, around three of that is Luger leaving the ring to cut a mm. promo after the first yep. lockup to talk about the closed fist. And he does the Glasgow England line and he's already gassed. This is house show bollocks they're putting in their main event here. And then Sting is here and he's like, I'm Sting and this is geography. Woo! The crowd love it. Sting, Sting, Sting. Sting loves it. He threatens a Glasgow kiss. And he also hits a referee when he does his big flurry. So we get a ref bump after or promo. And then Double J just comes in and he hits Sting with a guitar. He pushes Luger on top of Sting. Sting kicks out. Fuck me. Come on. the earth came to a standstill that night in Glasgow as oh. the total package Lex Luger attempted the fucking torture rack and I thought oh, he was going to... It looked like he was just going to go, oh, Jesus, and drop Sting on yeah, his head. honestly. So he kind of slumps off the back another guitar or third guitar in less yep. than 30 minutes. Luger again put on top. Luger is the WWA champ. He did one offensive manoeuvre. He did a forearm. I can't believe this pattern of WWA ending every pay-per-view of theirs with the most miserable finish they could possibly concoct. So They sad. keep doing this. And this is by far the saddest one yet because like you say, Luger didn't do fucking anything. Double J had to put him on top of Sting to get the belt for him. Like, so, it's pathetic. You, you know when they had to go like, oh, we'll do the guitar. Like, oh, hang on, man. You can have Sting lose after a guitar shot after 18 months. Well, how about two guitars? That's yeah, the that's best fine. they that's had. That's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, the yeah, best yeah. they could come up with. And there he is holding up the belt 
fucking sucking in wind like he's Andros or something like that. Oh. It's so embarrassing. We cut, and this was a pay-per-view that was an hour 50 minutes, and we cut at an hour 41, 42 yep. to JB, who is, as you like to end all pay-per-views, furiously shuffling notes. And for yep. a show that the last three shows, it's like, we're out of here. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. And now here we are. We've got six minutes to fill, baby. Oh, this is so embarrassing. Like a WWF pay-per-view in the Attitude Era going off the air with JR and King like, well, we still got a few minutes to kill here, folks. What can I plug? My website, I guess, you can check out. If you're a teacher and you fall into this trap of like, you know, <laughs> uh-oh, I've accidentally done 10 minutes too little of a lesson. And you're like, we're just going to like talk what happened again. Yeah. Look at our shoes, look at our phones. It's so fucking bad here. He literally starts reading out the results. He's like, what a night we had here yep. tonight. Shark boy uh, defeated Frankie Kazarian. And then we had Conan defeating Nate Spiderweb. And Fuck after that, he's like, okay, we're just doing that. And then he goes, good night. And they stick their tongues out. And there was still a bit of time left. Still. They played the recap package again for a second time at the end. Adam, by WWA standards, it was a shit show because I think it was their most successful outing to date in terms of product for the fans, what the fans wanted. Like, the fans weren't booing and throwing garbage in the ring for Sting and Luger. It was actually an indictment of how much goodwill they'd garnered with this audience that they didn't betray it. Although every mm-hmm. fan I've spoken to who's at the show were like, they can't believe how little they wrestled for it. It was an insult. Luger, apparently, was really furious that he had to wrestle for as long as he did. Oh, he wanted off. He wanted to do even less. Fuck me. I, I will say this is a very successful house show. Clearly, the audience that were there were very yeah. into it. As a pay-per-view, this is an absolute abomination. I think it's got no redeeming quality. <laughs> uh, no, I'm being serious. I think this was the worst one yet out of all four we've done. They've got progressively worse and worse. This is completely bottomed out here. I have no fucking clue how next time is going to shape up compared to this. Well, next time, Adam, it will be the final edition of the, the WWA. Am I correct? So, look, as it stands right now, as you're probably aware, we have got a bit of a weirdness going on with uh, our country, our county, where we live, where Billy lives. We're not allowed mixed households and all that at the moment. It's very, very difficult for us. But all I can say is I'm going to guarantee you lots more content from myself and Adam, from Adam and Billy, and from myself and Billy as well. We're going to be getting oodles of content over on the Patreon page. And there are a few surprises planned as well, because Adam... I think you and I are long overdue to take a last ride very, very soon. Oh, God, I forgot we said we were going to do that. Yeah! I'll tell tell you what, Kevin, before we wrap things up today, because the next WWE is our final one. It's going to be... From New Zealand, right? I believe so, yes. It's the last chapter. Any New Zealand fans, please, at all. Yes, please Please message, email, attitudeyourpodcast at gmail.com. Thoughts on this show and just thoughts on like because I'm very interested to find out about Australian wrestling that we have found mm. out so far. And other than Dakota Kai, I don't think I, I, the Bushwhackers, I think I know nothing about New Zealand wrestling. And I heard there was a great scene down there back in the day. So any info, greatly appreciated. So before we head to New Zealand and we throw the WWA into Mount Doom, I want to <laughs> find out what you predict. Have you got any predictions for how the, the final, final image of WWA is going to shape up? Like what, what kind of note are we going to leave it on? I think we're watching a TNA pay-per-view next time. That's what I was going to say. My prediction is, yeah. whatever happens, it's going to be Jeff Jarrett standing tall by the end of WWA, I Absolutely. Think. I think it'll be set up. I'm expecting to see AJ Styles, some of yep. the names from the time, like maybe Abyss. Uh, I'm expecting oh. to see you know, some of the names that TNA were, were pushing in the early days. Okay. You know, Christopher Daniels maybe back there. I don't know if we're going to see Elix Skipper. 
like, this is the great thing about it, though, and it does make me a little bit excited. Is that that's a fucking stacked roster, man, for 2002. That was mm. a very stacked roster. I know we're going into 2003 now, I guess. So, as always, we'll have all the updates finishing off the story of the WWA, where it lands now. If you've had any thoughts on the series and anything you want us to talk about that's not happened so far, please send us your emails, your messages. Follow us on Twitter at AE Podcast or Facebook.com forward slash Attitude Podcast. For all your thoughts about the WWA, this episode, caption contests, and of course as well, lots of videos which are available to watch over on our Facebook page. And as Kevin mentioned before, we have been churning out a ton of content over on patreon.com forward slash AE podcast. We have just released the final part of our Pete Gas book report, which is another big epic and honestly one of the best, most sweet and wholesome times we've ever had on the podcast. Absolutely. Myself and Billy took a look at the Undertaker comics from 1990. 99 recently and of course there are over 60 episodes of the smackdown crawl we have got so much content available right now for a five dollar backing at patreon.com forward slash ae podcast don't forget to check out all that content there and if you only want to subscribe for one month get access to all your content and then come back at a later time you want to support the show support myself adam and billy patreon.com slash ae podcast but hey until next time it's gonna be a goodbye from me kevin and a good day from me adam and we'll see you next time for the last time in the wwa on the adam shiera podcast